0: you got the bus! And now, shining the
1: spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors.
2: Joshua Wall walks in, got the
3: Major Junior. This is Logan Stankoven. I play for the Calis Blazers. Hey, it's Matt Potcher from the Guelph Storm. This is Ackler LaRue from the Halifax Moosehead. Natai Gaucher. I play for the Quebec Grand Hey, guys. This is Ty Nelson from the North State Battalion, and this is the Pipeline Show. NCAA. This is Ryan McAllister for the Western Michigan Broncos. This is Wyatt Kaiser from Minnesota, Toulouse. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota.
2: The NHL Draft.
3: This is Adam Fantilli of the University of Michigan. This is Ryan Leonard. I play for Team USA. I'm Nate Danielson of the Brandon v Kings. My name is Adam
4: Giam. I'm playing for people off field. Hi, I'm Grayson Sochin I'm with the Seattle Thunderbirds.
3: Hey, this is Jacob Fowler, goaltender for the Youngstown Phantoms.
4: I'm Connor Bedard for the Regina Pads, and
3: this is the Pipeline Show. And more. Bring This is the Pipeline Show. <laughs>
1: Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Pipeline Show. My name is Guy Flaming. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, listen to this week's episode. Whether you're a returning listener and you get the show from anywhere you get your normal podcast from, maybe you're a first-time listener, maybe it's a Saturday or a Monday night and you are driving around and you're listening online at edmontonsportstalk.com. Whatever the case I'm really glad to be speaking with you right now, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. The program is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, because you can't win friends with salad. It is absolutely the best beef jerky you have ever had in your life, I guarantee it. You can get it in three Edmonton and area locations, that would be Leduc and Spruce Grove and West Edmonton Mall, or you can get it anywhere in Western Canada by going to their website and placing an order online. That would be at willhawkbeefjerky.com. I have four guests for you today. I'll tell you who is coming down the pipe a little bit later. But as always in this opening segment, we start with news and notes. A positive news item this week, Ramuski and Shawinigan have submitted their intent to bid for the 2025 Memorial Cup. This year, it is the OHL's turn to host. Last year, it was in Kamloops in the Western Hockey League. This year, or in 2024, It will be the Saginaw Spirit, first time it's been held in the United States in a long time, which I'm happy to see because I think a lot of times the American franchises seem to get overlooked in the uh, Canadian Hockey League, and there's nine of them now out of 60 teams. It's almost a tenth of uh, the CHL. But anyway, so in the queue in 2025, Ramuski and Shawinigan are the two teams uh, bidding for the ability to host. Now, Shewinigan did it not all that long ago. Shawinigan has actually hosted the Memorial Cup twice, uh, way back in 1985, and then in 2012, uh, the Edmonton Oil Kings were at that event. On the other hand, the Oceanic only hosted the Memorial Cup once, and that was back in 2009. Do you have a preference? Who would you like to see hosting in 2025? You can always hit me up on Twitter or X at TPS underscore Guy. Let's stick in the queue and a quick look at the standings. One team still with a perfect record. It would be the the Forer from Valdor, who are sitting atop the league with a perfect 4-0 record. como would be next. They, they are 4-0-1 to begin the year. One team, actually two teams, still looking for their first victory. The Gatineau Olympique are winless in five games. They have a single point Meanwhile, the uh, defending champion, the defending Memorial Cup champion, Quebec Rempart, begin 0-4. When it comes to point leaders in the queue right now, it's a Tommy Cormier of the Victoriaville Tigers. He has 10 points. Teammate Justin LaRose has 9. Yuan Loshing from Moncton with 9 as well. Maxime Corsol from Rimouski and Louis-Philippe Fontaine have 8, respectively. Fontaine is... Uh, a member of the Roy aranda Huskies. Now the OHL is the last of the three CHL leagues to start up. There are still four teams with a perfect records. Mississauga, Kitchener, and the Sioux Greyhounds are all a perfect 3-0 and coming into this weekend's play. Meanwhile, the Guelph Storm, also perfect, but they've only played two games, 2-0. and When it comes to the scoring leaders, we got uh, Jack Dubois from Peterborough and Adrian Masaljevic from the Kitchener Rangers, both with 7, Travis Hayes, Ethan Medima and Jack Beck, all with six points. Hayes and Beck play for the Sioux Greyhounds, and uh, Medima is a member of the Kingston Frontenacs. The news out of the Western Hockey League, the big news this week, is uh, the indefinite suspension of Kevin Constantine. We spoke about it last week here on the show, and I uh, have a pretty significant uh, segment to close out this week's episode, focusing more on this uh, situation. But Kevin Constantine... Suspended by the Western Hockey League, his contract's been terminated by the Wenatchee Wild, so uh, he is not going to be part of the WHL moving forward. Uh, what exactly happened? Well, again, final segment today, I'm going to have Sean Bell on the program, spoiler alert, but he's got uh, connections throughout the Western Hockey League and has uh, spoken with somebody who is in the room and can tell you pretty much exactly what happened, and we'll do that at the end of the this week's episode. As for the standings, well, the Prince George Cougars are ripping it up early on this season. They are off to a 5-1 and one start. But the biggest number for them, 40 goals for and just 14 goals against. They are not just winning games, but they are pounding the opposition. The Cougars are averaging over 6.5 goals per game. That is a ridiculous amount of offense. And keep in mind, they started the season without a couple of their bigger-name players in Riley Height and Cohen Zeemer. Both are back. But they are also getting huge contributions from other players. In fact, the leading scorer in the league right now is a rookie in Tarek Parasak, who has 15 points. Andre Becker, who's also with the well, all the, the top five scorers in the WHL, no surprise, are all members of the Cougars. Andre Becker, who comes over as an import player, has 14. Zach Funk and Hudson Thornton, both with 12 points. And uh, Riley Haidt has 10. It's uh, been a dominating early start to the season. Uh, for the Cougars also kind of notable and I tweeted this out last night take a snapshot of the Eastern Conference standings the Medicine Hat Tigers and the Edmonton Oil Kings and the Regina Pats and the Brandon Wheat Kings all tied for top spot in the Eastern Conference two of those teams didn't make the playoffs last year that being Edmonton and Brandon and I don't think a lot of people were expecting where the Regina Pats to be playing as well as they are out of the gate and the Medicine Hat Tigers still a young team now keep in mind it's very early in the season Red Deer's only played three games. Most teams have played five. Some have played six. So it's a, a little too early to get a strong read on where teams are at right now. Although Victoria is 0-4 to begin the year and just traded a couple of their better players away. So already it looks like the uh, the Royals are pulling the chute on the season. Moving on to the Alberta Junior Hockey League, the Black Falls Bulldogs, the, the league's newest franchise, a couple of years under their belt already, but they are currently sitting in first place. After nine games, they have 14 points, but if you went by a winning percentage, it would be the second-place Brooks Bandits, who are 6-1. and one. few teams, though, off to pretty good starts. Drumheller, Sheward Park, Camrose, they all have 12 points. Notably missing from the top half of the league standings would be the Spruce Grove Saints, who actually have a losing record right now. Nine games in, they're 4-5, and five, and we can't say that very often. Leading the A.J. in scoring now is Brendan Ross with 15 points. He plays for Black Falls. And then a couple of Drumheller Dragons still leading the, uh, the way. Easton Adrian and Van Uas, who have been at the top all season long. One perfect team left in the British Columbia Hockey League. That would be the Surrey Eagles, who are 4-0. They're being chased by the Victoria Grizzlies and the Nanaimo Clippers. That in the uh, Coastal Division. The Interior Conference is being led right now by the Salmon Arm Silverbacks and the West Kelowna Warriors, but the Penticton Vs are still right there, currently in third place, but just one point off the pack. Penticton has the league's top scorer. That would be Ryan McPherson, who has seven points in four games, the Philadelphia Flyers draft pick, who I believe is going to New Hampshire for his NCAA commitment. Yes, it is, the University of New Hampshire. Speaking of the college route, the USHL... It's a couple of weeks underway now. The uh, standings pretty tight, actually. In the Eastern Conference, five teams are tied with six points. Madison would be in first place because they are a perfect 3-0. and Green Bay, Muskegon, and Dubuque have all played four games. All have six points, though. And the National Development Program has uh, played six games. Of course, some of those are the U-17 team and some are the U-18 squad. The last place team, though, in the Eastern Conference right now, the Chicago Steel, and the defending champ, uh, Youngstown Phantoms, there in uh, second last. Meanwhile, in the Western Conference, uh, only two teams are tied at the top. That would be Fargo and Tri City. And right now, leading the USHL in scoring would be uh, Cole Iserman, who has uh, he plays for the National Development Program. He's with the U18 squad, and we can see the breakdown. The US NTDP has played six games, but Eiserman's actually only played four of them because the U-17s played two of those games. Anyway, he has 10 points to begin the year in uh, four games. Matt Vagreden of Muskegon has eight points. James Hagans, who also plays for the program, has eight points. And Eric Paulson from Dubuque with eight points. They're your leaders in the USHL. One more stop to go. That would be the North American Hockey League. And overall, the top squad would be the Austin Bruins. They've only played six games, but they have the best winning percentage. If you're going to go by points, it would be the Maryland Black Bears, followed closely by the Northeast Generals. Both of those clubs have played 10 games, whereas Austin has only played six. I did notice that in the South Division, the new new franchise, the Colorado Grit, are actually tied for first place right now. Fortunately, they have a losing record in the process. They're five-five-zero and one, so they're just below 500. But I think you got to take that, don't you? I mean, you're tied points-wise with 11 points with uh, Lone Star, Shreveport, and New Mexico. We'll see if they can hold on. Your top scorers in the North American Hockey League continue to be non-American players. Sixton Generoso, who is from Sweden, he leads the pack. He's got 18 points in 10 games for the Northeast Generals. Then a couple of uh, players from Rochester, the Junior Americans, are being led by a couple of Canadians in uh, Matteo DiCipio and Massimo Gentile, who have 17 and 16 points, respectively. All right, that's going to do it for the news and notes. All my guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk hotline. Troubled Monk is based in Red Deer. You can get their products anywhere in Alberta by going to your local liquor store. Some of their soda that they make, because it's not just crap beers it's craft beverages you can get some of their soda potentially at your local grocery store but your local liquor store you'll be able to get a wide variety of their uh, beer and spirits you can go to troubledmonk.com shop and see what they have in stock for you and i spy with my little eye the rebels red a brand new whl season means the rebels red is back in stock at troubled monk Place your order online at troubledmonk.com slash shop and let them know the Pipeline Show sent you. Here are the four guests that you're going to hear from today and the order that we're going to hear from those guests. We're going to begin with a 2024 draft spotlight segment. It's the first one we've had in Season 19. We're going to get to know players who are draft eligible. We do this every year, all throughout the year. And we are beginning with a player who is uh, ranked in the first round out of the Western Hockey League. His name is Ryder Ritchie. He plays for the Prince Albert Raiders. I had this conversation with him on Monday. The Raiders were hosting the Edmonton Oil Kings on Tuesday. So we uh, spoke before that game. Now, there's not a whole lot. It's not going to be dated because most of it is a bio on Richie himself. But I wanted to get that interview done early in the week so that uh, Andrew Peard, voice of the Oil Kings, and Nolan Cole, voice of the Raiders, would have access to that audio in case they wanted to use it in their intermissions. Both of those teams meet again here in Edmonton on Saturday. Anyway, we go from that conversation with writer uh, Richie to a pair of NCAA conference previews. We're going to start with Jimmy Connolly from USCHO. He will be our guide to Hockey East. And from there, we'll go to the Big Ten. We're going to double dip with the USCHO contributors, Paula Weston. You know her, you love her. She's great when she's on the program and knocks it out of the park again. She and Jimmy both do a terrific job getting a set for the college hockey season. And we will close things out this week. I already told you, it's Sean Bell, former Tri-City American, played 10 years of pro hockey, including stops with four NHL teams. It was Minnesota, Montreal, Edmonton, and there was a fourth team that I can't remember off the top of my head. But it's not his career that we're talking about. It's uh, getting his perspective. He He's the guy who broke the story last week, or one of the guys. He and Tom Gazzola, they host a show on Edmonton Sports Talk called Hello Hockey, and they tweeted out the news about Kevin Constantine before it was before it was announced by the WHL or the Wenatchee Wild, so I wanted to get Sean or uh, Tom Gazzola on the program. It was too early to do that last week. It was too fresh, and really news hadn't uh, been clarified yet. They were still doing their due diligence on uh, with their fact-checking, uh, but Sean Bell able to join me this week and has some insight. Uh, there hasn't been a whole lot that's been specifically reported about the details. Uh, Sean has some of those for you. In regards to Kevin Constantine, we just we branch off from there. We talked about hockey culture and the relationship between old school coaches and today's player, why that's not working, why it's a concern, and more. We're going to talk a lot with uh, Sean Bell to close out this week's show. Hey, do you know you can get personalized hockey gloves? Yes, you can at ProStockHockey.com. It's your online source for authentic Pro Stock hockey equipment, including gloves as well as sticks and everything else. You can follow them on Twitter at ProStockHockey, and you can check out their inventory at ProStockHockey.com. Let's kick off the show. Ryder Richie of the Prince Albert Raiders is in the 2024 draft spotlight next. Here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Hey, it's Matt Potra from the Guelph Storm.
3: Potra dangles and scores! Matt Potra! Wow! Spectacular spin move out of the corner and pots it!
1: And this is the Pipeline Show.
3: Trevor is lonely. Yeah. So Trevor threw a big party and served salad. Nobody came. Mike is also lonely. Yeah, it sucks, man. So Mike threw a big party and served Wilhawk beef jerky. Go Wilhawk!
0: Go Will Hawk. Everybody Go, Will came! Wilhawk Will
1: Hawk. Will Hawk beef jerky. Because you don't win friends with salad. Wilhawk is the
2: home of Alberta's best beef jerky.
1: In Leduc's, Bruce Grove, and West Edmonton Mall.
0: You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. I used to be able to throw a pigskin for a mile. Are you serious? I'm dead
1: serious. Back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, we're going to begin this week's episode with a 2024 draft spotlight. We're going to get to know players all season long who are eligible for the next NHL draft. We've been doing this for, gosh, it must be 15, 16 years at this point. It feels weird to say the 2024 draft spotlight. Uh, but we're going to get to know uh, another player eligible for the upcoming draft, and it's uh, a big-name player out of the Western Hockey League that you'll definitely want to know about. The program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky, but you can get it throughout Western Canada by going to their website. That's wilhockbeefjerky.com. We turn on the draft spotlight. We go to Prince Albert. Ryder Ritchie is my guest. Uh, Ryder, welcome to the program.
3: How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, I appreciate you making time like this. Uh, for the, the audience's benefit, we're speaking on a Monday, Tuesday night. Your team is playing the Edmonton Oil Kings, uh, so getting set for a game. Uh, this show will, this episode probably won't come out for most people until Friday, so that game will already be in the books. But the team has got off to a, a pretty good start so far, and yourself, five points in four games. Are you happy with the way things have gone?
3: Yeah, I mean... Uh two and two right now a uh, chance to get over 500 uh tomorrow i guess and i think i think we've had we've played two good games and two that we we know we can be better at we gotta we gotta have better starts here but i mean yeah chance to be over 500 tomorrow so that'll be a huge game for us
1: well and a, a team you're probably going to be competing with the in the standings for a lot of the season as both of you try to get into the playoffs this year so it's an important game from that perspective too
3: yeah for sure it's uh I mean, every t- anytime you're playing someone in your conference, it's pretty much a four-point game. So, I mean, if we're going to want to get in, we got to win these. And, I mean, getting as many points as you can at the start of the year, it's going to help, as we learned last year. I mean, we, we started our playoff push too late, so I think, I think this is a definitely a big game and set those up for the rest of the year.
1: It's very early in the season, uh, but you've got five points in four games. You had a really strong rookie year uh, with uh, 20 goals and 55 points last year. How do you feel different, this year compared to last year, maybe at this point last year.
3: Yeah, I think I feel more confident for sure. I mean, coming into the league last year, you you just don't know what to expect. I mean, it's your first it's your first tape, of do, taste of WHL hockey. I mean, you're 16 playing against 20 year olds, and I mean, you're just it's a little bit overwhelming, kind of mm-hmm. like you're kind of playing against bigger, faster, stronger guys that you're used to. I mean, playing in midget, and then I mean, coming as coming back as a second year, I feel like. Like I've played here, I know I know I can keep up, I know what I can do, and I just feel way more confident coming back into my second year.
1: Have your line mates uh, been the same couple of guys so far this season, or has it changed up?
3: Yeah, I've been playing with Sloan Stanick and Aiden Oren this year, which uh, I love playing with them too. I mean, two great players. Uh, Stan can put the puck in the net, and O can make good passes. So, I mean, yeah, I've been playing playing with them for most most of last year and then started this year, so I've been really enjoying it.
1: All right, so if you say Sloane is the guy who's scoring the goals, and Aiden is the guy who's doing the work in the corners and setting up the plays, what's your job on that line?
3: Yeah, I feel like I can do a bit of both. <laughs> I mean, I can. I feel like I'm a setup man myself. Some, and then I think I can also score. So I think I can do both.
1: Well, and I think that's accurate. 20 goals and uh, and 35 assists last year. So more assists than goals. But a guy to score 20 in his rookie year—that's pretty significant, isn't it?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a good accomplishment. It was definitely a goal of mine to get to 20, and uh, I I couldn't have done it without my teammates, my line mates. uh, But, yeah, I mean, it was a goal of mine, and scoring 20 was a pretty big accomplishment, and yeah.
1: Are you a guy at the start of the year who sets like a target statistically for yourself? Uh, At the end of this year, I want to have this many points or these many goals. Are are you that kind of guy?
3: Uh, A little bit. I try to take it uh, like a couple games at a time. I mean, you you don't want to look look at the end of the year you just got to do what you can uh, uh, night in night out but yeah I try, to, I try to set goals for myself throughout the year.
1: Well what would you consider to be a successful season for yourself this year?
3: I mean I just try to take it in three game segments do what I can to just do what I can to help the team win I think that's, that's kind of the main goal here getting to the playoffs and do, doing what I can whether, whether it's scoring uh, being good defensively make, making plays uh, just doing what I can to help the team is, is my goal
1: Ryder Ritchie is my guest, to forward with the Prince Albert Raiders, as we uh, get to know another player eligible for the upcoming NHL draft. Uh, and to do that, we'll we'll get a little bit of background uh, from you, if you don't mind, writer, because there'll be a lot of casual NHL fans that listen right. to a segment like this. This is a junior and college hockey show, so my regular audience will already know who you are. Uh, but there'll be, you know, people outside of this market that that
3: don't follow yeah. the WHL, so.
1: To help them a little bit, uh let's start at the beginning. Where are you from?
3: So I was born in Calgary, Alberta, and then I, I leave I live in Kelowna as of right now, but uh I mean I kinda grew up everywhere. My dad played in the NHL so mm-hmm. followed him around a lot, which which I mean was huge huge for me seeing uh seeing what he did, I mean, playing in the NHL and playing in Europe. Just kinda I mean he helped me out so much throughout my career so far. He's he's been my coach when I was growing up, since Pee Wee to to midget mm-hmm. and just, he's helped me out a ton, so following him around, and I grew up over in, over in Europe when he played there. I mean, Switzerland, Belarus for a year, and I lived in Sweden for three years. So, I mean, kind of grew up everywhere.
1: How old were you when you came back to Canada?
3: Uh, I would have been 13. My first year PUE was my first year back in Canada.
1: Wow, so you got to play a lot of your young uh, youth hockey
3: overseas. How, how different was it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's super different. I mean, bigger eye surface, uh, it's, uh, it's a lot more skill, skill development. I mean, we started hitting when I was nine years old, which was, which was different over there, but mm-hmm. I mean, I enjoyed it. I mean, I think it helped my development a ton with all that, all the edge work, all the skills work we do over there is a, it's a lot different. And I think. I think it helped my development a lot, and I'm thankful I got the chance to grow up in Europe and experience that.
1: So, when you first came back to Canada, and you said you were playing Pee Wee here, did you feel like you were maybe a step ahead of uh, the rest of the guys in your team because of that?
3: Uh I mean, I came back and I was I was super undersized. Uh, only I was five foot. I don't even know if I was 100 pounds yet in Pee <laughs> but I feel like from a I feel like from a skills perspective, like different things. I I thought I I learned earlier in sweden i'd say like body positioning all that stuff i learned earlier than people do here but yeah i think just different things uh canada develops better and then different things europe sweden develops better so i think i got the best of both worlds growing up both places
1: all right for those who don't know byron richie was, is your father he was a four uh you're a little bit bigger than he was uh, though as a player did do you did you expect that growth spurt
3: no not really but i was hoping it was coming i mean we're we're completely different players i mean he was he was kind of let's say more of a i mean a junior is super super good player I he scored 50 back to back which which is not easy to do but i think as he got older he was more into a harder checking type type of forward which by games we're not we're not the same game but yeah i mean just watching him play and it was super fun growing up for me.
1: Yeah, well, he was a 100-point guy a couple of years in a row there uh, when he was with the Lethbridge Hurricanes. They must have been playing without goaltenders, though, back then, right?
3: <laughs> I, I don't know, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, scored, scoring 50 back-to-back is it's crazy. To me, yeah, but, yeah, pretty significant, that's for sure. Um, all right,
1: well, tell yeah. me about, uh, you know, as a guy who's been drafted as early as you were in the WHL draft, there's got to be some pressure that goes along with that. I mean, expectations from the organization, because they use such a high pick on you, and, from the fan base, they're going to expect you to be a difference maker. How do you handle that kind of pressure?
3: Yeah, I just, I just try not to focus on the pressure, to be honest. And I mean, I feel like, I feel like you kind of just, you can't cr- create the pressure to yourself. You can't really think. You just got to go out and play, and I mean, have fun. You're, you're playing the game you love. So I just try to go out and have fun and play as hard as hard as I can, night and night out, and try not to focus on any of the, the external stuff.
1: What was draft day like for you uh, in the Bantam draft? I know a lot of guys were, you know, at home maybe or uh, somewhere at school, probably following along on their on their phone or something like that. What was what was draft day like for you?
3: We were on a road trip in a hotel room in Victoria, and we had a lot of guys that got drafted, and we were all in a hotel room watching the dra- uh, draft live. So, I mean getting the guys getting drafted one by one. I mean, we all got excited for each other and it was it was a special moment to to just just I mean have your your best buddies, your teammates there with you while getting drafted. I think I think it was a super fun moment for 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 all of us.
1: How many guys on the team back then? That would have been back when you were in rink at Rink hockey academy?
3: Yeah, I mean, we had say eight or nine guys get drafted. We had three first rounders uh three or four second rounders and then a couple guys throw, throw out later in the draft, but yeah, I mean it was it was awesome.
1: Yeah, and then Lakovic on that team, Clark Caswell, Jackson Vaughn. Uh some pretty significant players uh, that would definitely stand out for, for WHL fans, that's for sure. Yeah. For those who haven't had a chance to watch you play or the Raiders play, how would you describe yourself as a
4: player?
3: Yeah, I think I'm uh I'm a skilled for uh school, skilled forward who can uh Create chances for myself and my teammates. I think uh, I think I have I have pretty good skill. I think I have a have a good shot, and um, I look to I look to create offensive chances uh, everywhere, everywhere, everywhere on the ice. So I think that that would describe my game.
1: Your season this year got started a little early. You got to uh, play some pretty meaningful games back in August, uh, playing for Canada at the Halinko Gretzky Cup. What was that experience like for you?
3: Yeah, it was it was special. I mean, anytime you get to wear the the maple leaf and represent your country it's a it's an honor and uh i mean we had such a special group uh we got we got got a well or came along super well i mean like everyone everyone was friends on that team and that's what made it so special winning in overtime i think i think it was just yeah just a special moment like i mean winning nine seconds left in overtime or whatever it was uh in check with uh, with probably the loudest rink I've ever been in. It was mm-hmm. it was special. It was crazy. So it was a lot of fun.
1: Well, that's saying something considering the rink the rink you play in in PA, regarded as one of the best rinks to to play in in the Western Hockey League. It's it's not the biggest rink, but the crowd is fantastic.
3: Yeah, I, love, I mean that, nothing's better than the house here on the weekend, especially the place is bumping. Uh, yeah, I, I mean I love it here. It's the rink the rink's smaller than most, but it's, it's louder than most as well. So. I mean, we have great fans here, and it's it's just a lot of a lot of fun playing in front of the city.
1: Getting back to Team Canada at the holinka Gretzky Cup, I mean, you had nine points in five games, one of the top scorers in the entire tournament. Uh, when you when you come together as a group like that, you got to gel really quickly. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm trying to remember. I don't think there was a whole lot of practice time leading up to the tournament this year. So how do you how do you manage that?
3: Yeah, we didn't have a camp actually, so they just picked a team and we flew over, and then about a week before tournament so we we ended up in hungary where our our, i guess our camp was where we uh we practiced for a few days played the hungarian u20 national team in the they're in the world junior b division Mm -hmm. so we played a game there and then we played one exhibition game against czech actually the team we played in the finals so we really had to come come together quick i mean we didn't have a lot of time together we did a lot of video and stuff to to get get our systems down but i think i think at the end of the day like we we we're such a tight group, and we're all all great players from around Canada. And I just thought we persevered and we got the job done. So it's just it's just an awesome tournament.
1: Well, do you think having that experience in August has really given you a bit of a head start here for the start of the WHL season?
3: Yeah, I've been mean, playing playing games during the summer, and just I mean, get the pace of those games were just so so fast, so skilled. So I think I think it kind of gave me a head start a little bit. I'd say.
1: Well, you know that the Helenka Gretzky Cup's kind of the kickoff for the scouting season as well. It is your NHL draft year. And I wonder how much time you spend looking that far ahead or do you try not to think about it? Most guys will tell me they're either who try to push it to the back of their brain. They don't want it to be a distraction, but there are other guys who want to know who's got them ranked
3: where and they use that as motivation. What about for you, Ryder? Yeah, I try not to focus about it. I mean, I don't really, I try not to look at the rankings and stuff like, I mean, at the end of the day, if you go out and play your best and do what you can night in, night out, that uh, the rest of it will uh, will take care of itself. So I really try not to focus about it.
1: Are there guys around the team or are people who have gone through the draft that you know maybe off the ice that you can kind of talk to about what that process is like?
3: Yeah, I mean, a teammate of mine got drafted last year, Terrell Goldsmith. So asking him about, I mean, he went to the NHL Combine, asking him about that stuff has been really helpful, and I have a lot of a lot of friends that have been through it so i mean it's super helpful talking to those guys and hearing their experience and how i mean i'm just i mean terrell's been really very, very helpful to me just kind of i mean he might get annoyed because i've been asking so many questions but <laughs> i mean he's, he's helping me for sure just about the combine and what questions teams ask and prepared me for stuff like that so it's been it's been great having a guy like that around
1: well, I know that the, the draft is a long way away between now and then. What sort of areas of your, your game do you think you have to refine the most? Are is there specific things about the way you play or your physical traits or something like that that you're you're trying to work on?
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to trying to work on my whole or on everything. But I think I think continue working on my speed, my skating. I mean, I think it's ca- coming a long way in the last couple of years. But I think that's definitely something I'm I've been proven on, and then just the just the two-way game and i think uh i think all the other assets like my shots stick handling i think that all has to come come away but i mean just continue to work on it day in day out and it, it will get there so yeah
1: what do you like to do away from the game can't it can't be hockey 24 or 7 and 12 months of the year so when you're not playing and you get a little downtime what do you like to do
3: yeah i'm a i'm a big golfer i like golfing uh I mean, other sports I enjoy too, basketball, football. So anytime I have to throw a football around or go, go shoot some hoops, I'll do that. Or, uh, picked up wake surfing recently. So mm. just learning how to do that. But yeah, I find, I find those things a lot of fun to do. Okay. Not at the rink playing hockey.
1: Favorite golf course that you've played?
3: Um, favorite golf course. Actually, Wasco Sue up, uh, Probably fifty minutes away from Prince Albert. Super, super nice course. Wow, nice,
1: awesome. Well, Ryder, this was great. I appreciate uh, your, you making time like this. Uh, best of luck the rest of the way this year with the PA Raiders. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That was Ryder Richie from the Prince Albert Raiders, who's got to be one of the uh, the top guys of the Western Hockey League uh, for the twenty twenty four NHL Draft. I've had a chance to watch him a few times live when PA has come through Edmonton. Seems to really be one of their catalyst players. Won't be surprised. This, I think the PA Raiders are going to be young, but very talented for the next one or two seasons. And then they're really going to hit their window, I think. And at that point, Ryder Ritchie is going to be one of the best players in the league. He's already really good. Drafted 14th in his uh, Bantam draft year, right after Cole Pearden, who was uh, t- also taken by Prince Albert. He's listed at 6 foot, about 175, 180 pounds. And that's as a 17-year-old right now. So he, he just turned 17 in August. He won't turn 18 until after the NHL draft. This is a young guy. 55 points last year in 61 games. 20 of those were goals. He's already at more than a point-per-game pace right now uh, to start the early season. And 9 points in 5 games at the Hlinka-Gretzky Cup for Canada. That was tied for 4th in tournament scoring. 2nd on Team Canada, only behind Berkeley catton who had 10. So... I mean, he's right there at the top of scoring in the Holinka, and I'm not sure how many in the hockey world were focusing on him going into that tournament. A lot of talk about Berkeley Catton and Michael Misa for obvious reasons as a exceptional status underage player. But going into that event, there were I, I think I tweeted out that there were three guys I was really curious of uh, to see how they would do at that tournament, all from the WHL. Ryder Ritchie was one of them. Caden Lindstrom from the uh, Medicine Hat Tigers was one. And I also mentioned uh, Jordan Gavin from the Tri-City Americans. He only ended up playing two games, so didn't have the impact in the tournament that he probably wanted or I expected. But uh, Ryder Ritchie made a name for himself there and continues to do so in the regular season here in the WHL. And the first guy to appear in the 2024 Draft Spotlight segment, we will do these pretty much every show. There'll be a few weeks here and there where there's something special going on, like the World Junior Championship preview and the Frozen Four Coaches Show, the Memorial Cup Coaches Show, outside of those big banner event kind of uh, episodes, there should be a draft eligible player pretty much on every week here. It's become a, a real staple of the Pipeline Show over the years. Up next, we are going to talk some college hockey. We've got the Big Ten and Hockey East previews coming up with Jimmy Connolly and Paula Weston. Those will be the next two segments right here on the Pipeline Show brought to you by Will Beef Jerky. <laughs> Jackney won it, left half boards. McCarr, skates down
3: the boards to the corner, stops up there, then got around a defender to the side of the net, cuts in front, shoots, and scores!
0: (laughs) A thing of beauty, a work of art, Cale McCarr
1: just took over this whole game, dangling a defender out of his skates in the left corner, Cutting to the slot, untouched!
4: Hey, it's Kale McCarr of the Brooks Bandits, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show.
3: Way. I'm good good, I race through the crowded stadium with sweat Pouring a glass of crisp cold beer refreshes my webpage But the computer crashes into another car Who instinctively
5: grabs the release on my chute And hits the bedside
3: alarm Apparently, it's time to wake up
5: ignite imagination advertising on the pipeline show works who listens to the pipeline show people like you share the story of your business with targeted customers contact Gee directly at gee at the pipeline
0: you're listening to the pipeline show with gee flaming
5: hey everybody an old man's talking
1: This is the Pipeline Show with Guy Fleming. We're going to continue this week's episode with a uh, preview of the Hockey East Conference in the NCAA. We're also going to look at the Big Ten, but we'll do that in the next segment to help me go through Hockey East. As always, is uh, Jimmy Conley from USCHO. And uh, Jimmy, uh, I appreciate you always making time to come on the program, and I'm looking forward to the college hockey season. How are things for you?
2: Well, they're great. I mean, it's always nice when hockey is back. Uh, talking hockey feels more natural than probably anything I do in in, in the summertime, that's for sure. Uh, it's, it's a lot better to talk hockey than watch my golf swing. So I'm glad to be back, uh, ready to get going this weekend. Uh, it should be a great season.
1: And it it looks, at least on paper and sort of the buzz, that it's going to be a pretty good year for hockey, East in general, and a couple of the teams right at the very top will be uh, juggernauts. Uh, we're going to start with Boston University because they seem to be everybody's pick uh, going into the year is not just the top team in the conference, but potentially at the Division One level. Do you agree? Is are are the Terriers the team to beat right now?
2: It's a pretty deep team when you really look at it. They they return a good portion from last year's Frozen Four team, Hockey East regular season and postseason champions. In this league, there's no doubt that they deserve the the preseason nod from the coaches. Um, I I think that this team is really good. You know, you have you return a, a guy like Lane Hudson who. I think was one of the best players in the country, not just rookies in the country last year. Uh, and then you, you add in Celebrini who is a, a very highly touted recruit. Um, mm-hmm. and this team, I, mean, they just keep getting stronger. I always do caution and we've seen this. We saw it. Mel per- Pearson had this issue at, at Michigan. I, I believe David Quinn had, it. you know, maybe one season at BU. We have so much high end talent. Um, and when you have a lot of great players, and BC, we'll get to them, I'm sure, but they might face this this year too. But when you have a lot of great high-end talent, a lot of first-round draft picks, a lot of you know players with high expectations, you always worry that do you have a third line and do you have a fourth line and do you have guys that are willing to play on those lines? Right. You know, these these are players that have played their entire career on the top line. Your top line center, your top line wing, the top D pair, every team you've ever played on. Now you've got to go to college. Often, often the case you've got to you know take a, a little dip to a third line. Maybe your minutes hurt right away, but you have to prove yourself. And and you need those those depth players as much as you need the great first round picks as well. So I always think that that's interesting uh, to have a lot of high end talent. But I I think that Jay Pandolfo would tell you he would welcome that in his locker room any day um, to get a guy like Lane Hudson coming back for a second season after such a a fantastic freshman campaign that's a big that's a coup for your team and and that should lead to a lot of success this team should be the team out of the gates um that could be number one in the country they are in the preseason polls um they they should hold that for a while but you never know it's a long season slip-ups happen i like the way this team is built though
1: no team is perfect and i very much from the outside looking in i noticed all three goalies they had last year are not back so there's three new guys uh, at least wearing BU uh, uniforms they're older though and I'm assuming they're guys who transferred in but is that a a bit of a, a question mark coming into the season just how will these guys adapt to their new surroundings?
2: Yeah I don't think any coach loves going in without uh having his goaltenders there. You know you had one leave last year you had to transfer out. Now you've got some some new faces in this program and um, you, you'd prefer to have some confidence back there. But as you mentioned, you've got some transfers in there. They're, they've got games played at the college level. It would be more worrisome if these were three goaltenders that hadn't played a single game. And you see, You've see, you seen coaches not intentionally get into that problem where you might have a plan that you've got a, a guy for three, four years. They leave after a second year. You didn't have really that, that backup ready to go. Uh, in the transfer portal day and age, that's happening more, and, and that, that's kind of what happened here with, with BU. But I look at this as, as at least there's some experience between the pipes. If you had none, that would be more concerning. Um, the college game, as everybody understands, it, 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 d- despite the fact that we have some really high-end junior leagues around the United States and even in Canada right now, the, the college game's different, and the speed is different. In Hockey East, when I look at that league, top to bottom, there's so much offensive talent, so you have to have that goaltender. Uh, you, you know, We look at UMass last year. They started out the season at you know high expectations. They were you know on fire right away. They upset Denver back-to-back games to start the season. But then when goaltending became a problem for, for the Minutemen, that brought their team down. Mm-hmm. And there was other issues. I know Greg Carvel's talked about them. Um, you know, leadership issues, maybe not feeling like they are as heavy a team as he likes to coach. But when you have those goaltending woes, that is something you have to worry about.
1: All right, let's go to uh, the next team, I think, at least in the uh, men's preseason coaches poll uh, for hockey. It was Boston College. Uh, And that's, again, such a strong recruiting class. Their their incoming freshman is uh, ridiculously deep. Uh, But that means they're probably going to be young as well. Is that maybe something that is the hurdle for BC overall?
2: It certainly could be, but but I'd love the the young talent you're talking about. You know, Will Smith was number three overall, Ryan Leonard number five overall, and uh, Gabe Peral was uh, I think he was 23rd overall mm-hmm. in the last draft, and maybe I'm a little off. It might have been I think it was four, eight, in 2023 20, or something like that for those guys. That that's a pretty crap. And then you you know you you realize you have Cutter Gauthier that's coming back for his sophomore season you have some good experience on the back end you've got some uh, some age you've got you know some upperclassmen on the back end I like BC as a total package but yeah I, I believe they're going to be the youngest team in the country age-wise um, that is always a challenge I think that sometimes the the biggest problem with that is that these players haven't spent as much time conditioning and in the weight room and you you'll play against there will be teams in this league that will have 23 and 24 year old players and you're mm-hmm. talking having you know the bulk of your team under the age of 20 if you're boston college so i i do worry about youth and we've seen youth sometimes uh you know be a, a bit of a, a crutch for for teams that 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 they they worry about how they have to go about things with the youth but i i look at the talent as well and talent can win out and that's uh, one of those things I think B- BC with what they brought in here in terms of their freshman class they, they have so much talent um, they, they're, they're you're gonna have to watch out for them this is this is Greg Brown starting to win the recruiting battles um, you, you're, you're talking about a big transition from you know Jerry York a couple of years ago now Greg Brown he knows how to, how this program works he played there he was an assistant coach and associate head coach now he's running the ship and he's doing a good job of winning the recruiting battles.
1: You mentioned uh, for uh, BU Lane Hudson coming back for a second year and how important that was. Is it basically the same for, for BC with cutter Goche? and it seemed like, you know, I, you know, I'm a flyers guy. It seemed like there was maybe some contentious, uh, rumors at least between the player and that organization. Is there anything to that from what you're hearing?
2: I, I don't know. You know, it, It's very. I don't trust rumors, especially college to pro rumors. You know, there's a lot of talk. I think the 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 professional organizations do a lot to try to you know push the agenda. Um, You know, but you talk to some coaches, and they talk about awareness. You know, self awareness of players, and I think Gauthier knew that he still he's not a big player. He he could definitely stand to put on a little bit extra weight. He could use some extra reps, get some more practice time, and, and just work on that skill set because it's it's pretty good. You know His speed, his ability to create plays, and most importantly, the ability to finish at the net um, makes him stand out, I think, among most of the, the, the young players, not just in hockey, but in the country. Um, so I expect him to take another big step forward. I'm sure that Greg Brown does as well. Um, and he might also help bring along some of this young talent. He was there last year. He was on a team that didn't have, that wasn't as deep as many BC teams have been in past years. Um, so he, you know, he learned what it was like to, to have to really, as a young player, kind of carry the torch. I think he could be a good role model for some of these really young, high-end, you know, first-round-type draft picks that BC has coming in as freshmen.
1: Jimmy Conley from USCHO is my guest to look at the Hockey East conference and uh, we get set for the start of the regular season here coming up. Merrimack is number three on the coaches' poll. There was it did seem like there was a bit of a gap from the top two to Merrimack. Are they clearly the the third best team in the conference in your opinion, or does it become sort of a three or four teams that you can sort of mix around?
2: That's a, that's a tough question because I do believe once you get to three, probably everybody from three all the way down to nine in the coaches poll are pretty pretty close in terms of where they should finish, where they will finish, what type of talent they have. But Merrimack, don't forget, they were a, an overtime goal away from winning their first uh, postseason championship last year in Hockey East. Uh, didn't get that done, and they brought back a lot of players, and especially older players who you thought maybe would have graduated they're coming back for that COVID fifth year. Um, that's that's a big sign for this team. And you know, I think they had a little bit of young talent, but this is an experienced, older team. And I've always loved over the last probably, I'm gonna go back to the early 2000s. So more than 20 years now, the older teams seem to get things done. And certainly over the last 10 to 15 years those heavier, older teams have had more success in hockey. So Merrimack has a lot of the equation. But you look at other teams in in the league, you know, Northeastern has a little bit of that. Providence has that. Lowell has it. UConn, to some, you know, portions of it, they have a lot of young talent, um, but they have some of those heavier players. Maine has it. You know, I think that there's a lot of teams in this league that kind of match up to what Merrimack brings. And I think that those teams can be a bit of a pain in the neck for teams like Boston University and Boston College that are sitting there at the top. We see it in other leagues that, you know, you you bring these really star-started clubs into the postseason, and the biggest, the, the, the ha- hardest challenge in a one-game series, and that's what a lot of these are, hockey is it's a one-game series, the entire playoffs, the NCAA tournament is, you know, once you get to the semifinals in most of these leagues, it's all one and done. And in those types of games, I love experience, I love age, and I certainly love size and, and maturity. That's something you can't, you can't buy, and especially in a young freshman. The, the, the bodies just don't develop you know, enough at 18, 19 years old mm-hmm. compared to 20 and 20, uh, 23, 24-year-olds.
1: Yeah, it's, it's when you look at a roster like BU or BC, you see, I don't know, 13, 14 NHL-drafted property uh, like players on those rosters you're like, wow, they must be really good. And then you compare that to Merrimack, they've got a drafted goaltender and two drafted forwards, and that's it. But when they actually get on the ice together, that experience at the, uh, the age, the physical maturity for a team like Merrimack, it, when you go head-to-head, it, it kind of balances things out, doesn't it? It,
2: it? it certainly does. And we saw it you know, with Lowell through much of the, the time from, I think, about 2013 to 2019. And you had some really good BC teams there. You had some really good you know, David Quinn coached BU teams in in those eras. And what you had in Lowell was a bunch of older guys who had been through it all. They didn't panic in really key situations and they won championships for, you know, four hockey's titles. I think it was for Lowell between 2013 and 2017 or something like that. And, And they were in every championship game over that era as well. I mean, that's, that's a pretty impressive resume. And that really came a lot because of the fact that they had that older, more experienced, heavier teams to play against. You, you hear a lot of these coaches say, Man, it's hard to play against these heavy teams. And that's what they mean. Mm-hmm. It's it's the maturity, it's that physical maturity. I'm not talking about guys that are just, you know, laying big hits all night. We're talking about guys that just can ride you all night when you have the puck and it's so difficult and you get so tired playing against them. And I think that's what you, you're looking at when you, you look at some of these more experienced teams, like a Merrimack, like a Providence, like a Northeastern.
1: Well, speaking of Northeastern, let's go there next. It's the uh, post-Devin Levi uh, era for uh, Husky fans. And maybe that's a question mark coming into the season, who will become their, their number one guy. Uh, but they've got a bunch of drafted players, four of them just on the blue line, a couple national Nashville uh, forwards up front. Uh, what do you like about the uh, the Huskies?
2: Well, they, they have some really good scoring, and and I think that that's been a, a staple, um, kind of Jim uh, Jim Madigan into the Jerry uh, Keefe era. Um, they they always have been a, a team that can run and gun with you. That's a big you know positive for them. Um, I, I just they just seem to always be there. The big thing for Northeastern is taking that next step. They you know they haven't won an NCAA tournament game in I, I want to say that they maybe won one in the '80s that's their last NCAA tournament win. But they, they have some of those those really, really talented players. Gunnar Wolf Fontaine, a lot of fun to watch up up front. Uh, Ritzkovy, and um, you can kind of go up and down. Uh, Borgesi, uh, Vinny Borgesi is, is a player that can put the puck in the net. They've lost a little bit um, in terms of not just the goaltending, but a little bit of their scoring punch. But every time you think that they've ta- they'll take a step back, they always seem to – To have that next ability to to kind of refresh, Um, they don't have the freshman class of Boston College. Um, They don't have a a ton of guys that are drafted on their roster, especially from the recent draft. Um, But they have the talent, and I I think that this will be a team that they're just hard to play against. You know, I we've heard a lot of good things about Joseph Conner. He didn't get taken in last year's draft, but um, supposed to be coming in and he, he's one of those players that y- y- you would hope can, can maybe you can depend on a little bit. But y- you don't know also, uh, you know, and I, I look at Northeastern as as a team that could go both ways. But based on the, the resume of Jerry Keefe and what he's been able to get out of his teams, I expect them to be in the upper tier of the league.
1: All right, next we go to UConn, and uh, if we go back a year ago, I, I was buying into the, uh, the the buzz for UConn. I thought they had a pretty good year. Uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, it was the first time they'd ever got into the top 10 in the USCHO poll, and th- they were really good for most of the season. I know they lose a little bit of their uh, their veteran leadership uh, with uh, guys moving on, uh, but they have uh, a couple of incoming freshmen. I, I really like their goaltending. Uh, tell me about UConn this year from your perspective.
2: Yeah, I think goaltending is probably their biggest strength. Um, but you know, you've also – I just go back sometimes. I really rely on on the coaching staff and what they're getting out of their players. And, and Mike has been able to get a lot out of his players. He's done a fantastic job of recruiting, but also turning some you know, talent that was considered decent to high end into really high end. And, and that's been the strength of that program. And I think that if he can continue – to build on that, the big the big plus for UConn right now in the recruiting battle is the building and uh, the Toscano Family Ice Center. Um, it, it's basically in their first full season. They're going to play. I think I think if I remember what Cav told me, it was all but four games, home games this season will be played on campus. Um, a small rink, about about three thousand is the capacity. They have plenty of a student body and fan base to fill that it'll be loud it'll be a tough place to play expect them to be a really good home ice team and i think that that's you know if you can just start with that and then build out the players listen mike cavanaugh recruited for jerry york and won national championship after national championship with jerry york he knows how to recruit players he knows how to what he needs to bring in um so i i just trust what will come in. I, these freshman classes, they're, you hear a lot about them, but mm-hmm. you don't know until you see them on the ice. But I was high on UConn all of last year. Um, loved them preseason after they lost in overtime uh, to UMass in the Garden in the, in the uh, Hockey East Finals the year before. They kind of did sputter a little down the stretch and maybe didn't have the finish that they wanted. But this, this is a team that has plenty of ability. Um, I don't doubt. Anything about this this UConn team just because of the fact that they have a great coaching staff?
1: What do you expect from Matthew Wood in year two?
2: Ah, uh, he was so talented, but uh, believe it or not, somehow overshadowed. You know, you had a freshman class in, in hockey East that included Lane Hudson and Cutter kind of Gauthier, and then mm-hmm. you have Matthew Wood, who was fantastic, but but easily overshadowed. He, he'll grow. He's he's he has plenty of talent. It's good to see him back. Um, you know, when a guy gets taken high in the draft uh, you kind of you have to be concerned about that but i know that uh talking to mike cavanaugh he's been with him the whole way and and uh, you know trying to find a way to um, make sure that he he's leaving when he's ready and he did not leave he's coming back and i think that's a big positive for yukon he'll he'll develop he's a good player he is he has a lot of finish um sees the ice really well and has the speed so i think that he'll he'll only get better in year two
1: you can never count out a, a team like Providence uh, because I think, as you mentioned uh, several times, coaching is so important at this level, and uh, Nate Lehman is such a, uh, a highly touted and highly uh, respected head coach. What are you expecting from the Friars this season?
2: What you always do, a hard team to play against, a um, team that's going to play physical. You know, they're, they're, Their challenge in the last couple of years has just been scoring goals, and if they get the goal scoring, they're, they're successful. They've always had good goaltending. They've always had good defense. But, like I said, the last couple of years, it's just been finding ways to put the puck in the net. If they can do that more consistently, they'll be a better team. But you, you said it, you know, a Nate Lehman coach team, really strong. Um, they're they're hard to play against. Nobody likes to play against them. I think that most people kind of point to Providence and UMass Lowell as the two physical teams, the heavier teams in the league. And those are the teams that, you know, make it a little bit more of a struggle every night. When you go into the corners, you know that you're, you're going to get. It's going to be more difficult to get control of the puck. Let's just say that. I don't. I've I've gotten past the day where I say that these teams <laughs> smash you because nobody does. And coaches will tell you you can't be throwing the big hits anymore because more than anything, it usually takes you out of position, and the, the game's fast enough that you don't get back. So it's more about just riding guys on the puck, and I think that's like a providence at UMass Lowell. That's exactly what both of those teams do.
1: Well, we've been going down the, in order at, from the coaches poll, the preseason coaches poll Providence coming in at number six. And then you got UMass Lowell and Massachusetts who are seven and eight. Not a whole lot, at least uh, on the poll, separating those two. And you kind of alluded to it earlier where you said the top you know, three to nine is pretty interchangeable. Uh, what do you like about those two programs though coming into this season?
2: Well, Lowell's gotten a little older. Um, they, uh, their one big question mark is probably in net. Um, they do have um a transfer from from UMass uh coming in this this uh this season and that might be the answer in net um i don't i don't know exactly you know but I, I think in terms of UMass that's a team that you know Greg Carver loved a lot of what his team showed last year except he didn't think they were tough enough and he didn't know what the goaltending uh question was every night they didn't he didn't have the answer. And I do think that, you know, this season uh, he's got a young goaltender who's coming in. Uh, Matt, uh, Michael Rabble, I believe is how you say the name. Yep. Um, he was one of the top goaltenders taken uh, out of Omaha in the USHL. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be asking him right out of the gate to carry the water. Uh, Cole Brady is, is returning. He started at Arizona State, went to UMass, played there last year. Uh, talking to Greg Carville, he said, you know, he probably didn't uh, handle him well last year. Um, and that's that's a little bit of an issue when that, that's, you know, what, what your struggle is in terms of goaltending. Goaltenders, we know, are, are kind of the, those mental creatures that you have to get them in the right state of mind. But he said the competition's been good in camp, and he likes that. Um, so I think you might see um uh, rabble as a guy that could take control of this team but i i think you'll see brady first all that said i think that uh greg Carvel has been really conscious about making sure that the players that are in his locker room are more committed um he talked a lot about when i talked to him he talked a lot about getting stronger um didn't feel like they were a heavy team he said that they, their defense was way too light last year but if they can get to be a, a bit of a stronger team they'll be more competitive Um, This is a team if there's one team that's probably in the bottom six of the coaches poll that I think could take a a big step in surprise and not, you know, not be an eighth place team, maybe be a second, third place team. It's probably UMass. They have a lot of potential, a lot of upside to them, um, but translate that out onto the ice. That's something that I know that Greg Carvel, he feels more confident in this team, but every year is a new year.
1: Well, they got a lot of drafted players, so maybe that speaks to what you were talking about. And, and some of those guys will be later round picks, still drafted though, still recognized by NHL clubs for that potential. Uh, but they're, they're it's still a kind of a young team to some degree, right? I mean, they have some of that veteran presence, but they got a lot of incoming freshmen too.
2: They, they do, I believe he said thirteen new faces, and I, I believe four of them are transfers, maybe nine freshmen. I, I can't remember the exact breakdown off the top of my head. Um, you know, he said even transfers feel like freshmen, though, because you've got to get used to what the practices feel like. You've got to get used to new expectations. Coaches treat things differently. So, yeah, it's, they're young and they're going to have, you know, some new faces. But, um, you know, I think that I look at Ryan Ufko on the on the back end as you know, probably one of the more uh, talented but disciplined uh, defensive defensemen, maybe in the league, maybe the top defensive defenseman in the league um he'll he'll get things steady he's a good leader um so i i think that there there's some some good upside for this this UMass team and i shouldn't i don't I don't want to look over lowell so quickly cuz i think that they have proven whether you feel like there's upside or not they've proven that they <laughs> they're always a team that competes they've you know they've gotten to the final four since norm B- basin has been there i think all but two times and they've gotten to the hockey's finals uh, maybe seven or eight times in that span so that's a team that you always have to watch out for as well.
1: Jimmy, it seems like it's been a long time since the Maine Black Bears were relevant, really, or at least competitive, or, or near the top end, the higher end of Hockey East. Is it starting to change a little bit? Are you getting a sense? Of, at least I am, From, but I'm way far away from it th- compared to you. They're getting two freshman brothers, Bradley and Josh Nadeau, who absolutely ripped up the BCHL last year. Uh, they're both from that... Uh, that end of the continent in a small town New Brunswick. They're really talented players. It's only two guys, but is it maybe a, a sign that things are starting to turn for the better for Maine?
2: Yeah, I think that Ben Barr is a fantastic coach, um, and players want to go play for him, and they want to play for him. And all it takes is a little bit of success in Orono to really change that building. And I, I saw, I, I, I've only been up there a few times in the last decade, but one, once was two years ago. They played uh, UNH in a two game series up there. I broadcast game one. I th- I want to say it was like a five, one or a six, two main win. And that building was electric. And if that building turns into that every single night, not just when UNH is in town, not just when a big nationally ranked opponent, like BU or BC is in town, but every night, because that's what it was under Sean Walsh. And then later under Timmy Whitehead, um, they packed that building. It's a tough place to play. Alphond is one of the best buildings in college hockey when it is full. But that's the caveat, when it is full.
0: Hmm.
2: The lean years they had um, under the late Red Gendron, and then you know it's been tough, I think, for Ben to just build things right away. He's starting to get there. But when he builds this, and he will, he's had too much success in his life, uh, his coaching career, not to to win at Maine. He will win. The question is when you you mentioned, uh, obviously, this year, uh, the, the high end freshman recruits and Bradley Nado you know, a first round pick uh, this past summer. Th- that's going to go a long way. And it's it's going to bring the fans back in. And when it does watch out, nobody will want to not not to mention that it's the it's the long trip in Hockey East. It's a, Hockey East is a spoiled league. There's no, <laughs> you know, eight hour bus trips in the league. You know, this is a long one. If you're Yukon to going Yukon to Maine, I think that might be six and a half. <laughs> so there's no real long trips in the league, but it's the longest trip to go to Orino. And when you get up there, you kind of feel like you're in a different country. it's it you add in a really good environment at Alphon. It is a tough place to play.
1: Oh, uh, that's funny. Six hours, six and a half hours is the longest trip. the wow. long
2: trip best a long trip in the league. <laughs>
1: now, is that including traffic? No okay so it could be twice that
2: no no it's (laughs) it's it's still pretty fast highway i mean once you get over the main border there's no such thing as traffic Uh, i guess
1: that's true (laughs) that's true uh all right that leaves us with two teams uh the uh, number 10 team in the poll is new hampshire Uh, what are you expecting from them if if much
2: you know i mean they were starting to take some strides in the second half of last season um I love Michael Seusser as a coach. He he's he's one of those coaches that at some point he's going to turn some program around, whether it's UNH, whether it's someplace else. He's a good coach. He knows what he's doing, he knows how to win. Um, you know, he had a player, LeClaire, last year, a freshman, who was fun to watch, um, uh, back for his sophomore year. I think that if he can continue to bring in a few players. The, the whole thing is is I look at every one of these 11 teams we're talking about in Hockey East and can say positive things about every single one of them because there, there is no one in this league that is just a pushover. They, I, I came up in the old Hockey East of the early 90s where the bottom three teams in the league every year were awful. And the only four teams, maybe five teams, that had a chance to make it to the Garden were BC, BU, Maine, UNH, and Lowell. And that was it. You know, Northeastern was bad back then. Merrimack was really bad back then. You know, Providence was every once in a while would put together a good team. But these were some bad teams. And that doesn't exist in Hockey East anymore. Every team top to bottom is very good. And that's why when you go back to last year's NCAA tournament, you didn't have a ton of Hockey East teams in the field because within league play, they beat the crap out of each other. Mm. Nobody was running away with Hockey East last year. Nobody was running away with the top three spots. Nobody was running away with the top six spots. Like, there was no separation. Everything was parity, top to bottom. And because of that, you end up with a weaker overall pairwise. Um, and if you don't have immediate out-of-conference success, uh, it, it becomes a struggle for the league. And that's what they ended up with last year was, was, you know, a very limited representation in the NCAA field. There was a point in last year's season where it was possible that Hockey East would only get one team in the NCAA field. Right. Which is crazy. So that is, when we look at these teams, the reason is because you have teams like New Hampshire and Vermont, and even Maine and Lowell and UMass that are th- thought to be the bottom of the league, and they will go in and sweep you on any weekend because they have that talent. Okay, we're going to end it
1: with Vermont, and I, I mentioned this to you in uh, when we were trading uh, messages to set this up that it seemed to me like uh things were starting to turn around for Vermont. They're getting some good recruits, they've had some guys who have been drafted now. And then everything kind of goes off the rails uh, because of their head coach. Uh what do you make of what's happened there and and because of that they've also lost, you know, Alex Bump, one of their prime recruits to, for this season. What are you expecting from Vermont to come out of uh, all of this turmoil?
2: It's it's a tough break for them. Um you know, obviously they were heading in the right direction. Um, like you mentioned, their head coach was uh, let go this summer after some disciplinary issues. Um, but Steve Wheeler is he's ready. Uh, you know, he was at media day this year and he sounded confident. And uh, you know, now it's about going out and executing. This is a team that is never far off, and everybody knows that. This might, like I just said, the 11th place team can scare the. The bejesus out of anybody any night, especially up there at the gut. You, you know, they, they're another place very similar to Alphon in Maine. That when their fan base is going, it's at a loud place. It's a loud building. Um, but this is a team that has some high expectations, you know, from their their fan base. So they they've, they've got to just start putting some wins together, scoring goals. That you know, I I've mentioned that for a couple of teams here. You know, that 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 making sure that you can score some goals is the big struggle and. That was Vermont's over the last couple of years. Todd Woodcroft had it getting into a better direction. Their power play, which was dismal in his first uh, year uh, year or two, was starting to click. Their offense was starting to put a few more goals in. Their, go- their defense and goaltending has always been pretty darn good. Um, but it's, it's about scoring goals. I hope that, you know, Wheatler coming off of, of Woodcroft's staff, he can kind of, Keeps the momentum. Knows these players. That's the most important thing. Sometimes is is just you know still keeping those relationships. You mentioned they lost a recruit. That's tough, but schools lose recruits all the time, especially in the modern day where there's not a lot of respect for the uh, the verbal commitments by the yeah. players, even by the coaches that are are coaching against them. So I, I do believe that this team will be. There'll be a pain in the butt to everybody they play all year. There'll be no easy games, but. Somebody has to finish last. I, I don't doubt that Vermont is the team that probably belongs in the bottom of the coaches' bowl, but they, could they move up to 7th se- or 8th? Could they even go on the road in the playoffs and get a victory? That's a possibility too. That's where you see the biggest upside for Vermont.
1: When I look at their roster, one of the things that jumps out at me is uh, it's they're a perfect example of how or interest in college hockey has grown Way outside of North America. This is Team United Nations. I mean, they've got Americans and Canadians, obviously, but they got Swedes, a guy from Latvia, a German, uh, a Russian, a Finn, a Slovak, uh, a guy from Kazakhstan. They, I mean, this is crazy. They're recruiting. They're beating the bushes to get recruits.
2: You know that people used to say that about uh, American International College, which you know very much up to, lived up to their their name and had a, a massively diverse roster, but. You know, that was one of the big benefits of Todd Woodcroft. He spent a lot of time in Europe and coached over there. I I believe, I I can't remember exactly, but he spoke more than three languages, maybe four or five different languages, and maybe had some ability to speak even more. Um, So his ability to go out and recruit because of that helped. You know, having that diversity, and I'm sure you put a lot of players' families at ease when your coach can speak your native language. Mm -hmm. All that said... Um, he's gone from the program now. I don't know if it'll take continue to taking that uh, approach, but listen, you 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 become the program that attracts a lot of good international players, and that becomes kind of what you become known for. UConn did it, you know, when Mike Kavanaugh first got there and took a bunch of Russian players that many of them panned out to be great. And and if you can do that, maybe it's not from the diversity of countries that you just listed off, but if you get you know, four or five players from the same country, and they are all successful. Uh, it can it pe- becomes a bit of a pipeline yeah. for a program, and I think that that is more than anything. I think somehow that is what you know. Hopefully, this Vermont player, this Vermont program, sorry, can can rely on is, is pulling in players from all over the world because there's plenty of talent out there.
1: Jimmy this has been uh, this has been fantastic as always I keep you way too long I, I, I apologize for that but it's it's always so good when you're on. Uh, what do you got coming up at USCHO for yourself uh, that you've uh, put pen to paper to
2: well this is a, this is a pretty big week for us uh, we're gonna roll, we've rolled out a couple of features to start uh, Dan Rubin's taking a really nice look at uh, what potential realignment might still happen in the next few years in college mm-hmm. hockey Paula Weston's going to be looking at. Um, uh, the uh, new commissioners, the faces of – and there's a lot of new commissioners. Every, every commissioner has started their career as a commissioner in the last four years in all of the six leagues in college hockey. That's something that I don't think a lot of people saw coming. Uh, I'll have something a little bit later this week on the transfer portal. Uh, And then we'll have a look on Friday, I believe it'll run on Friday, we'll have a look at the return of Robert Morris. And everybody that knows Derek Schooley, great guy, Mm -hmm. uh, great coach, and a very emotional guy, wears his heart on his sleeve. So it's going to be a very emotional night for him on Saturday when his program gets back on the ice uh, for the first time since before COVID.
1: Yeah, looking forward to that for sure. Uh, And looking forward to the season. Jimmy, uh, always a treat when you're on, and uh, you know I'll be calling you several times throughout the year
2: it's always a pleasure. Enjoy the season.
0: Oh, Jimmy!
1: That's Jimmy Connolly from USCHO with a look ahead to the Hockey East Conference. We're going to continue in this thread and go to the Big Ten. Also from USCHO, it's Paula Weston. She is up next. Of course, these two college hockey segments are brought to you by College Hockey, Inc. If you're a player or you have one in your family, you need to know what you can and, more importantly, what you can't do. To maintain your NCAA eligibility, get in contact with Mike Snee or the crew over at College Hockey, Inc., and they can handle any questions that you might have for them. Paula Weston from USCHO is next. We're looking at the Big Ten Conference. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky.
0: Hey, it's Dylan Hollis from the
1: Wisconsin Badgers. Now he goes cross-eyes, center-eyes to Holloway. Drop pass between his legs, White three feeds, Holloway Open, score. What a fantastic play! Holloway, box, back to Holloway.
0: 1-1, wow! And you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Passion,
4: talent development ncaa hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93 percent rate trevor zegras
2: and they score on the lacrosse
5: move jake gensel, jake
4: gensel, gensel.
2: gensel.
0: banks it towards the goal he scores! Gale
2: McCarr.
0: Gale McCarr. he scores
2: stars on campus before the nhl stage whether you're a fan or a player nothing compares
4: to college hockey oh, my goodness gracious man. visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at college hockey you're listening
0: to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming.
4: Sound good? Yes, sir!
1: We are back on The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. We're going to continue the college hockey conversation. We just had Jimmy Connolly from USCHO to talk about Hockey East, and we might as well keep it going. It's a USCHO-heavy episode of The Pipeline Show this week. Paula Weston is on board now to talk Big Ten. Paula, welcome back. How
5: are you? Well, thanks. I'm good. I'm all excited. It's hockey season.
1: Well, I appreciate you making time. It's always a blast to have you on the program. Thanks. Uh, I love your passion uh, for college hockey, and it, <laughs> it makes it pretty interesting. And I think the uh, the audience uh, enjoys it as well. Thanks. Let's get right to it. Uh, the uh, coaches' poll coming out, and not a huge surprise it, uh, for me. It right. was more. It was it going to be Minnesota one or Michigan one? No surprise. Right. They're one and two. Is there a, a, at all a, a, a significant gap between those two at all? Or I mean, is that a coin flip?
5: You know, it's really hard to tell because they're so very different in terms of being like just they're just different teams. And it's 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 even though know, they both made it to the Frozen Four, they did so for different reasons. I mean, if you recall last season, Michigan sort of willed themselves there by outscoring everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Like they would allow, eh, I don't know, 15, 16 goals and score 17. I'm exaggerating, but not by much, right? So so it was they were just this passionate freshman like a big freshman class that was really great and and, and the, just this sort of go, go, go. And they had this really, I don't know, they were on a mission, right? Because of the year before and everything they had been through with um, Mel Pearson, and then everything they went through last season with their teammate, and a lot of guys got sick. So it was, it, it, I don't know, it's so very, very different and very different coaching styles. I mean, so you've got Bob Moscow out in Minnesota, and he's very, you know, slow and steady wins the race right? But he's got his, you know, fantastic recruits. I think Minnesota often gets overlooked in college hockey, at least in the big 10 in terms of, of, you know, uh, these great recruiting classes that come in and the number of NHL draft picks and things like that, you know, and, and I think they're pretty happy to be overlooked that way, right? Like, Oh, let's give all the attention to Michigan. And I'm not saying that Brandon Norado doesn't have a slow and steady wins the race, but it's, a, it's slightly different. It, it, they can be frantic and they're okay with that. Right. Mm. So it's 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 really hard to explain the difference between the two. I don't really think it is a coin flip. I think Minnesota on top is a really really good pick. I think they're they're returning a ton, and um, you know maybe it's a coin flip between you know incoming recruits, uh, but I, I do think that they have sort of a, a a more intact team coming back, especially in terms of their scoring, right? Because you know you get Michigan lost, you know Adam Fantilli and uh, Luke Hughes and Mackie Samuskevich. I mean, all three guys that are in the NHL, and, right. and and it's not that Minnesota didn't lose. I mean, they obviously they lost really good players, right? Um, like especially like Logan Cooley, right? And Brock Faber, yep. but they returned so many. You've got Bryce Bradzinski, Jackson Nelson, and Rhett Picklick, who's going to be a junior who I think is going to emerge as one of the best players in the Big Ten this season. Um, and and you know they return their goaltender and you know and, and it's just I think they have a more solid returning package so I'm not at all surprised to see them, you know, return as number one and and Michigan is up there and you know and the thing about Michigan is I think that they can no disrespect to the Wolverines but I think they can finish first or second but I also think they can finish in the Big Ten fourth or fifth right because there's really good talent in the Big Ten from top to bottom and so. You know, It depends on how well things gel, and and um, and that's always a, a thing for every team, I know, but it just seems like there's more turnover at Michigan this year than there is at Minnesota, and so that's why I think the coaches were really smart to give them the nod.
1: All right, well, I wonder if goaltending might be the, the, the biggest mm-hmm. difference between the two programs. You mentioned Justin Close is back uh, yep. for, uh, for the Golden Gophers. I'm looking at the preseason all Big Ten teams, the first and second team. It's almost all Michigan and Minnesota. Yeah. And some of the the Minnesota players, Jimmy Snuggerud, Luke Middlestad, yep. uh, yeah. Bryce Brodzinski, who you mentioned, Mike Coster on the back end, and Justin Close in yep. net. I mean, that's five guys. And then Michigan, mm-hmm. you got Gavin Brindley, Seamus Casey, Rutger McGroarty, Frank Naser III. Uh, th- mm-hmm. These are all stud star players. But is goaltending where you give Minnesota the edge in a head-to-head?
5: I do. I mean, I, I, I put my money on Justin Close, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> as simple as that. I do. Yeah, I do. I think so, partly, but also partly in fairness to to each team. I also see it, it, Michigan is always returning, you know, like Michigan can always get top talent. I really do see Minnesota as more established team defensively too, right? And, and that was a big question for Michigan last year with their team defense. I mean, yeah, it's great to plow your way through and to be able to come back from behind when you're down for your four goals, which they did several times and mm-hmm. then to take that strategy all the way to the frozen floor. But but I, you know, I mean, other than giving your coaches a heart attack, I'm not exactly mm-hmm. sure, you know, what the fuck is, right? I mean, it doesn't it doesn't seem sustainable to me from more than just the adrenal of that of that one season. I could of course be wrong. I mean we've seen teams do that before, season after season and they're but, you know, it it's interesting. If you take like a team like Michigan and then look at Penn State, which has the same sort of offense first not that they all don't have offense first mindsets, but you know Guy Godowski's pretty happy with an up and down the ice kind of game all the time, but he's perfectly happy if they win seven to five right or seven to six. I mean he loves that wide open game, but if you look at Penn State, they haven't been able to sustain that as as a model, right they can't they ha- that's not something that is sustainable, whereas Michigan may have. You know the talent to do that, but right. I just see that Minnesota's core from that out is just is just far more solid. I think
1: uh, Michigan State comes in at number three. Uh, yeah. uh, Trey Augustine, yeah. the only guy from Michigan State that gets any, or I guess uh, Joey Larson as well as honorable mentions. Yep. It's been a long time since the Spartans were this had this amount of buzz around them. What's going right here for? Michigan State.
5: I think Adam Nightingale is a magician. That's mm. what I think. <laughs> that's the first thing. That that's a team too, a program too, that is using the portal transferly really well. The incoming players that they have, you mentioned Joey Larson, right? Um, they've got a bunch of other guys coming in that I think are going to contribute right away, like Red Savage from Miami, um, who else, who else, who else? Reed Lebster from Massachusetts. Um, there are, they just have really solid guys coming in from the portal and they've been able to draw with, with Nightingale now at the helm. They've been able to draw some, some really good talents and coming freshmen, you know, like Trey Augustine. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I just think he, the improvement last year was solid and and under Dan Cole, they were always a hardworking team that played, I think to their talent level and as best that they could. Right. I don't think that they were, um, they were rarely outplayed and, and I thought that they were talented and did the best that they could, but Nightingale took it to another level and his, the confidence that people have in him as, as a coach who is sort of a development first coach, you know, like Brendan Arato is, you know, they come from, from player development and they have that mindset. And that is something that, you know, frankly, that a lot of NHL teams are looking at in terms of of where they're going to get good play, you know, good talent developed from. And um, that, that there's confidence in that Michigan State coaching staff that talent can be developed there, and that means that that really good players are looking at Michigan State. And that's the reason why the the portal I think works so well for them this year. Right. And they've got good incoming talent. And you know, in my in my first my USCHO preseason poll, my first ballot, which was like a week ago, right, I had them ahead of Michigan in the top ten. Wow. Um, and that's and that's that's like a snapshot of where they are. It's not like a prediction of where they're going to be, but it's a snapshot of where they are now. Because, like I said, I think Michigan always needs a little bit of time to gel. But I think Michigan State is going to surprise a lot of people this season, and I do I think that it comes right from the top down in terms of Nightingale's philosophy of play and um and development and and his reputation and the solid solid recruiting and transferring that've got there, and the guys that they've kept you know they've got some pretty good players that nobody's really heard of <laughs> because Michigan State hasn't been you know up um you know in recent years, but they're mm-hmm. you know you've got you you've got you know just. Some people, I'm thinking like David um, Gucciardi, I mean, and I'm thinking of uh, Jeremy Davidson off the top of my head. You know, these are, these are players that are going to come back and they're going to do really well. And they're going to do really well under Nightingale, and they're going to do really well because the level of talent around them has been elevated this season.
1: How impactful is uh, the arrival of Isaac Howard uh, Tampa Bay? Uh, Lightning draft pick was at Duluth last year and has made the, the, the transfer over. This is a first-round talent in the NHL draft
5: absolutely he
1: he didn't put up amazing numbers last year 17 points as a freshman it's six goals hey it's fine but it's not necessarily mind-blowing uh, what do you expect from him
5: oh i expect big things from him i mean and and again i think it's because you know he took a look at or somebody near him right took a look at developing like how to develop his talent and somebody looked at nightingale and nightingale's coaching staff and said that's where that kid can develop hmm. and so and and yes he's got the talent and like i said i think that elevates the entire talent level across the board at Michigan state. And um, I don't know, you know, every one of these coaches is very quick in the big Ten to say that they don't want to put a lot of pressure on freshmen coming in and they're not going to really single them out um, because they they don't want to really do that to them. Um, I think he can be very impactful this season. I I do think that the big 10 has scorers. I I do. I I can see this league scoring a lot of goals this season. So, you know, if a lot of other players of lots of other teams, Get attention he might be overlooked um but i i don't see him not having like he's not a freshman he's a sophomore but i don't see him not having you know a 10 goal season at michigan state at least okay. you know, it's sort of the barometer like it, it seems like not very many goals but a 10 goal or above season is a really solid season for a college hockey player you get you get above that right you get like seven eight 10 goals above that and that's an outstanding season for a college hockey player at this point. point um but i can see him having 10 goals this season easily easily
1: Number four on the uh, preseason coaches poll would be Notre Dame. They do have uh, the yeah. top goaltender, apparently, according to the uh, first team uh, preseason poll, Ryan Bischel, and He's good. And also uh, Drew Bavaro on the back end. Yep. Overall, is this a team that you think can really throw a, a wrench into the mix uh, for Minnesota and Michigan, and, and I guess Michigan State as well?
5: I do not.
0: <laughs>
5: That's fair. <laughs> I say, and it's it's, It's because they are such an unknown in terms of offensive talent. Um, Jeff Jackson always has a really good defensive team, and I have huge respect for that coaching staff there. And, uh, you know, Ambishal is as good as, as everybody claims he is. So I think they're going to be really solid defensively. But then again, if they have a really smothering defense, then yes, maybe, right? But I do see the league as a more open, you know, a more open league offensively. And so that might not be um i don't see them challenging for first or second and and if they do then i will eat my words let's put it that way they don't know they don't know where they're going to get offense from this season you know so when you don't know at the beginning of the season and they only had see i don't have my stats in front of me but i I think they only had like two goal score two guys score more than a more than 10 goals last season and and they have depth like like they they score at almost every position but but you have to have more offense than that to sort of make a run at the top in this particular league when you have teams like Minnesota and right. Michigan.
1: Yeah. If you're going to keep up with the, uh, the big dogs, yeah. you need some dogs yourself. Well, I know they've yep. got a couple of, uh, freshmen coming in, but it's tough to rely on freshmen. Cole Knubel, Danny Nelson were the guys I'm thinking of, yeah. but, um, yeah, me too. Me too. T- They're t- tough good. to really yeah. bank on the freshmen cause it, it's a big jump.
5: Yep. And, and, and those are two good guys that you mentioned too, along with, I would think maybe also Paul Fisher defense. I think that he's going to make some noise. Okay. Um, but, you know, it, you're right. It, it is it is hard to bank on freshmen. I, I know that Michigan did it last year, right? But they had that incredible freshman class. Yeah. Um, most of, you know, many of whom are gone, right? <laughs> I mean, that's the price you pay when they're that good. Um, but, yeah, it is it is difficult. And that's not to say that Notre Dame won't be in the mix, right? But I just don't see it at the end. If you take a look at how the Big Ten standings finished last year, and Minnesota was so far ahead of everybody. At some point, there was no way to challenge them. Um, and Notre Dame was up there for a bit, right? But there, it wasn't enough to catch somebody with the, the talent in all three positions, right? I'm not saying that Notre Dame doesn't have talent up front, but they do have a good decor and they have excellent goaltending. But Minnesota has all three of those. And Michigan may, depending upon what, what comes up this season. And I, I do think that Michigan State will. So
0: Okay.
1: She's Paula Weston from USCHO. We're looking ahead to the season for the Big Ten Conference, and it's a uh, a new era for the Wisconsin Badgers after dominating the CCHA at uh, Minnesota State uh, for the last, uh, well, decade or more. Uh, Mike Hastings (laughs) is now the head coach of the uh, Badgers. I almost said the Beavers. That's weird. Uh, uh, Of the Badgers. It's a different rodent are the rodents it, right but, i don't know but,
5: but it is but it is but it is a team it's it's Bemidji State that's right and the CCHA so and, and, and they also play in Minnesota
1: anyway the badgers ranked number 5 i actually thought this might be a, a team that would be ranked a little bit higher just because of uh, mike hastings and the success that he's bringing with him let alone you know five or six players that he's bringing with him as well right
5: right it helps when the coach just sort of <laughs> rage right yeah it's like ah, i'm going and i'm bringing these guys with me right yeah. yeah that does help and i there's always i think when there's a new coach i always think there's a new coach bounce right there's a if he's a, if he's a likable guy and of course mike hastings is an incredibly likable guy and so you know and in Granado was a very like he was very well liked by his team too. so it's it's not like there isn't going to be some adjustment but but yeah, I I can definitely see Wisconsin moving up, you know, in in a couple, I don't know if it was a week ago or the week before, because, you know, space and time at this point in the year, (laughs) I can't keep track of. But he did say in preseason that he he knows he's got talent there. It's like there is talent there. It's not like they, I I think the quote is something like, you know, it's like the cupboard isn't bare, right?
1: The Badgers do have like 13 drafted players, though. I mean, there's a a lot of, notable just on the back end, Brady Cleveland, Tyson Jugna, uh, Daniel Latch, Zach Schultz and the, and then there's yep. you know nine forwards as well that's this is a right. pretty, if, if NHL draft uh, status means anything this team's loaded
5: right I, I like Tony Granado a lot I, I thought he he I think he's a really decent human being and I think he's a good coach so I don't know what didn't click there in Wisconsin but with all of that talent after what Mike Hastings did has done elsewhere. I do not think that he will not be successful here. Right. I think he will be incredibly successful in Wisconsin. And, 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 you know, you'll see it, it. I can see them a sort of middle of the pack team. And I mean, they're like, they might do better than that. I can see, frankly, I can see three or four teams sort of middle of the pack. And when you only have a seven, 17 league, you know, and they are, and the, the league is from top to bottom, really talented. I watched a lot of big 10 hockey last season. And, Wisconsin was a really good team. I mean, it wasn't. They it may not have shown it in the wins and loss column, but it wasn't a team that you could take for granted at all. And so, it'll be very interesting to see what Hastings does. When you get a new coach in like that, it's like, well, yeah, there's new systems, there's new, you know, there's new routines that guys have to learn, and and a lot of that success depends on whether or not they can pick them up quickly. Mm-hmm. I think that Michigan State proved that last year. People bought into. Uh, Nightingale stuff immediately. I mean, you could just tell when he came in that players were on board immediately and and uh, did what they could to really progress quickly. And these guys want to win. It's not like they don't, right? I mean, they're so hungry for, for success. Um, and they're playing in a league where the, the talent is really tough from top to bottom. And if you take a look just at Wisconsin versus Minnesota, you know, two teams that have trad- been traditional rivals. Sure. I mean, there's there's just... The desire to prove yourself, right? So I don't know. I have big I have big hopes for them for Wisconsin this year that they won't be in the cellar.
1: Okay, well, uh, we're not at the cellar yet, but Penn State <laughs> is the next ranked team uh, in the coaches poll, and you, you touched on them briefly before about needing that offense to, to keep up with the uh, the top teams. Uh, they get a, a freshman this year named Aiden Fink, who's coming from the Brooks Bandits yeah. out of the Alberta Junior Hockey League. He was a teammate of Ryan McAllister who had such an amazing freshman year uh, with uh, Western Michigan last season. I don't know it, if it's fair to expect that same sort of impact from Aiden Fink, but at least he's one guy that can has a history of putting the puck in the net. What are you expecting from the Nittany Lions?
5: I think it's interesting that, that in preseason this year, Guy Gadowski himself said that they're hoping to build on the progress that they made last season, and last season was – was like the best seasons they'd had since before COVID, mm. and Gadowski was really frank about why that was. He didn't feel like during during the first COVID year that he, you know, when when people were isolating, that he was as effective because he's such an in person people person, right? And 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 then he they got a little bit better, and then the last season they were finally to a place where they thought they should be, and he said something about that in preseason that struck me that that this is going to be another year that sets a precedent or it's going to be a year that leads to setting a precedent. So I'm thinking that he thinks that there may be some rebuilding to do still, even though, you know, he may have said it more diplomatically than I just did. (laughs) Right. So, you know, (laughs) I mean, I like their goaltender, Liam Solier, I think he's really good. Um, I think he can, you know, he's the kind of goaltender who can, who can, who can, but they hang him out to dry sometimes. Right. And so he's the kind of goalie that can keep them in a game. Right. And, and that's, you know, I've always liked their grittiness. I like the way he coaches. I like his style of hockey. It's a, it's a lot of fun. I'm sure that it can be, you know, coronary inducing for fans sometimes, but, um, but it is, they, I, I do think that they can, you know, I'm not going to second gets the coach. They're going to, they can rebuild, they can build on what they did last season and, and do well. And, and, you know, coming in second to last or last in the big 10, is not i mean it doesn't necessarily reflect on how good your team is this is i can't say how good this conference was last year and and i say that as somebody who for the first you know 10 years of covering the big 10 was really disappointed and how it was from top to bottom and so you know the big 10 forms and you're thinking wow you've got these 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 schools and these you know with resources that other places don't have and these name brands that will attract, you know, elite players. And, and there were so many programs that were transitioning when the big 10 formed, you know, for ver- you know various reasons back and forth. And, and there's been a lot of coaching turnover and, and finally last season, I was like, wow, this is really good hockey. I mean, from top to bottom. And so, you know, Penn state is another one of those teams that I can see finishing as high as three or, you know, four, because who knows what's going to happen, right? With, Injuries and illness, and right. and other things, and whether or not you know whether or not scoring is going to come for Notre Dame, right? And whether or not that that defense is going to be enough for Notre Dame, and whether or not Wisconsin's bounce is going to be enough for them, right? So, it's really hard to tell. I think that they have work to do. Penn State does, but I can see them up there in the mix.
1: One of the things that stands out to me about their roster, just when I pull it up, is the, it it looks like a pretty aged, uh, uh, veteran team. Oh yeah there are no 18 year olds there's maybe yeah. one or two 19 year olds and a couple of 20s but everybody else is you know well past their teenage years and experience at this level goes a long way
5: it does and and you know what it's like i mean in terms of just physical development too they may not grow any taller but they're certainly going to develop right sure. their muscles are going to develop their skull, seriously their bones are going to harden i mean there's a big difference between an 18 year old and a 23 year old and and that has always part of been uh, been part of Guy Gadowski's MO as well, as is relying on older players when you're rebuilding a team. And um, I'm sure that every coach in every college league would love to have 10 freshmen that are 18 years old that are super great, right? But that doesn't happen. And so, you know, that you rely on, on age and maturity where you can. And that will be an asset for them, for sure. I mean, they won't get too high and too low in, in certain points of the season when things may not go well for them or when things are going overwhelmingly well. You know, keeping the even keel off the ice will really help them a lot. Uh,
1: that takes us to the uh, last place team in the uh, coaches poll, and that would be Ohio State, who actually has a player that is on the list for a uh, potential uh, first team. Yes. And that that's yeah. Stephen Halliday, who's a property of the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, he's good. Is it a case of, all right, they've got a star there, not a whole lot else around them right now. I know they lost a lot from last year, including their starting net minor and a couple of other guys that were pretty key as well.
5: I think that's exactly what it is. Um, You know, I, I I do. I think that's exactly the summary you've got. They've just lost so much that they're an unknown. Right. And, and you stack that against a team like Minnesota who brings back almost everybody and you can see the big stark difference. Right. So, so that is definitely it. Although, you know, Steve Rollick is another guy. He and his coaches have used the portal really well. There are guys coming in that are are really solid. That may not have done particularly well where they were, or they may not have been really happy where they were. But they are solid players. Right. Like like there's a defenseman from North Dakota, um, Brent, Brent Johnson, right? Right? Solid, right? And then you've got. Uh, riley hughes is coming in from northeastern uh he is not done as well as he would have liked there and so he's there now he's now at ohio state there are one here we go one two three four five six seven eight people coming in through the portal for the buckeyes including logan turness from uconn the goaltender right and we don't know how well that will translate i mean hockey East is a really tough league so i imagine that that he is seasoned, right but yeah they they lost you know they lost Tate Singleton and Jake Wise and those goals and and that was big, and then Tyler Duke, a defenseman transferred to Michigan and where his brother Dylan is a captain so so they've lost some key players and and there's some turnover there, and I do think that is the reason why there's just too many questions around the Buckeyes, I think for the coaches to have voted them higher, but they're another team that I can see finishing as high as their place, yeah. I mean, I really do think that this league is that solid. And if I have to eat my words at the end of the season, I'll be very, very sad. <laughs> like, if it's not that good this year, I'll be very sad. <laughs> well,
1: that's what makes it interesting, though, I think, is that I, I like parody in leagues. I don't like to see one team dominate for, you know, a, same. It, it just it doesn't make it as exciting or intriguing. So I like same. parody. same. All right, before I let you go, Paula, you've got a new story up at USCHO talking about the uh, commissioners and just how yeah. you know, I think every, does every conference just have a new commissioner, like in the last two or three years?
5: Pretty much, yeah. I joke with Joe Britannia, who was the Hockey East Commissioner forever, right, that he started a trend in 2020 when he retired because right. there's been nobody there that's longer. I mean, Steve Metcalf has been the, the uh, Commissioner of Hockey East since 2020, since Joe retired, right? And poor Steve, man, his first season was the COVID season right? Of, of like, like all of the crazy COVID protocols and things that were going on from 2020 to 2021, right? And Don Lucia, the CCHA reformed in 2020, but they didn't play till 2021. And then you've got, you know, you've got Heather Weems at NCHC and um, uh, Michelle Morgan at Atlantic Hockey and um, Doug Christensen at DCAC and, and Doug and Michelle are just this year and Heather's last year and, Yes, it's, it's a lot of newness and a lot of turnover. And, but these are all incredibly gifted people. And they all bring just a lot of interesting, diverse talents to their positions. And I talked to them separately when I, when I interviewed people for that article. And over the course of a couple of weeks, and I was really impressed by how that group has come together because um, they have a little committee, like the, I can't remember what they call it. The commissioners is something your <laughs> association, right? And they and that Steve is like the the president of that. They elected him president because he's been there the longest. Wow. But they but they yeah right. But they but they but they really do have different talents. Like Steve comes from from athletic administration at New Hampshire and. You know Heather was an AD. Michelle was an AD. You've got you know Doug Christensen whose resume is insanely diverse. I mean he was player development in the USHL and he was you know and he coached the Belfast Giants in Ireland and he mm-hmm. you know he played college hockey at Union and he played you know he played um, he played pro hockey in the ECHL and the AHL and and I mean just insanely diverse. And then and then you, and you've got Don Lucia who was a coach forever. You know and and who knows the ins and outs of of the game from that aspect and just has a demeanor that that can calm anything right and if you ever want to learn anything about hockey you want to call down lucia and just shoot the breeze with him because he will teach you things just talking to him but yeah they are they're a really diverse group and they they all bring a variety of talents i think at a time too when not just hockey but Sports, not just college sports, but sports is going through a big cultural change. I mean, there are some things in the NCAA, like the NIL, the name, images, and li- uh, licensing kind of thing, and right. the portal and things like that, right? But there are there are just cultural things going on um, that that you know these st- student athletes are different today than they were even five or six years ago. They've grown up under under different circumstances. They have different expectations. Of themselves, of the colleges where they play, and societally. And it's, I'm really impressed with this group. It was a lot of fun to write that.
1: Well, it, I, I'm curious because of the timing of all of these new commissioners. Well, why, if you think it's coincidence, and it's not even college or simply college hockey, the USHL right. has a new commissioner right. this year. Right. In fact, the last right. one only lasted one year. So there's been three new commissioners in as many years for the USHL. The Western Hockey League has a new commissioner this time next year. The Quebec Major Junior Hockey League has a new commissioner this year. The OHL, his the commissioner there is done after this year. It seems like it's just a turning point for commissioners at, at several different levels, and I wonder if it's just coincidence. Does COVID have anything to do with it? Kind of get through that, and maybe that was just so exhausting that I'm, I'm done. i got to retire now because of the, how tough the last three or four years have been.
5: Well, you know, I, I can't speak to the everything beyond higher ed, right? But I can tell you, and I can't remember if it was Heather or Michelle that mentioned this, I think it was Michelle, just in in talking about the turnover in higher ed. In higher education in the U.S., and I don't know what it's been like in Canada, but, but COVID, you know, higher education took a huge hit on every level during COVID in terms of enrollment and, And and funding and things like that. Right. And so you had people throughout higher education who were just exhausted, regardless Mm -hmm. of whether they were working as coaches or athletic directors or provosts or faculty, just trying, especially in administration, just trying to keep the, you know, trying to keep the ship afloat. Right. And and I I do think it was Michelle Morgan who said this. she said there were just so many people that were. And it might have been Heather that said it. So many people that were just in higher ed, going, "Wow, this is a really hard job, anyway." And now with COVID, now I'm like, hmm, "Right, you know, maybe maybe I'm even more burned out than I thought I was. Maybe it's time to to seek out other opportunities." And and so I can I, I have seen that myself in terms of higher ed um, turnover. Uh, and maybe you're right. COVID might have done it in for a lot of people. And if you take a look at the commissioners who were there before 2020 in college hockey, you had guys that had a lot of experience. I think I added it up to 80 years of collective experience, right? Before the sort of new group came in. right? And in, you know, guys that have been there, like, you know, Bob DiGregorio had been there for what, 18, 20 years and, 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 and a whole bunch of people. And so you also had sort of maybe a generational turnover in a way, right? Like people who had come in maybe at the same time, at least in college hockey, right. many of them. And then they were like, Oh yeah, it's time to, to seek out something new. And and I do think in talking to, I didn't talk to Bob for this, but I did talk to Joe Bertania. I do think there was a sense that maybe, um, maybe people who were more in tune with things that were going on now, not that the guys that went out that weren't in tune, but but maybe a new generation needed to come in and sort of take things forward because things were changing. And there are things, I mean, look at the way we talk about culture and sports now in ways that we did not five or six years ago. And, and rightly, so, in my opinion, I know a lot of people who are sports fans disagree with me. I get told all the time to stick to sports, and it's not going to happen but, you know so but I mean, you watch what what happens, and every week there's a new thing that comes out. I'm just following hockey every week there's a new thing that comes up out about a player or a team or something really awful yeah. right that yeah. and, and you would and you would think at this point that maybe people would be aware that what they're doing isn't good right like there, there would be like at least a second thought about what's going on and 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 then but the but the the flip side of that though is that when something like that happens a majority of people say hey that can't happen anymore we're aware of this now and it can't happen anymore yeah. and that's just one example of how things are changing right and and that's a big challenge to change a whole culture is a big challenge coaches talk about it all the time when they come in changing just the culture of a team Not ch- try changing the culture of a sport yeah right and doing it in such a way that you retain all of your fans, not just people who agree that maybe some things need to change, but people who are just happy the way it is, status quo. So I think there are huge challenges in terms of the commissioners across hockey. I'm not at all surprised to hear, you know, now if we could just get rid of, you know, somebody at the head of the NHL, I'd be a very happy person. and I will <laughs> say that all day long. <laughs> But that's just me. I'm sure I'm the only one who thinks that way. It's a whole other
1: episode, uh, Paula. (laughs) Hey, uh, let's wrap this up. Uh, This was a lot of fun. I always uh, enjoy it when you're able to come on the show. Uh, And uh, I hope you don't mind if I call you. uh, I'm calling you next week, too. No, I'll I'll, I'll let it go a couple of months.
5: (laughs) Anytime, anytime. This is always a pleasure.
1: Hey, there's Paula Weston from USCHO with a look ahead to the season for the Big Ten Conference. I think everybody is expecting it to be, again, Minnesota and Michigan. I do have a sneaking suspicion that Wisconsin is going to be a, a, a pleasant surprise this year, and she uh, she's very high on Michigan State. That's great. You know, both of those programs have been struggling for a while, so it would be great to see them become relevant again. That's back-to-back season previews for a couple of NCAA leagues. Let me know what you thought about uh, Paula's breakdown of uh, the Big Ten and Jimmy Connolly's uh, look at Hockey East in the previous segment. You can find me on Twitter at TPS underscore And at the end of that conversation with Paula, she was talking about the commissioners, and then we kind of got into hockey culture stuff, and that's a perfect lead-in for this week's final segment. We're going to talk about some hockey culture issues, because that has been in the news again A former NHL player, a former first-round draft pick, a former WHL standout is going to join me next. His name is Sean Bell. You might remember him. Spent most of his career with the Tri-City Americans of the Western Hockey League. Where He was drafted in the first round by the St. Louis Blues. Never actually played for St. Louis, but did play for the Minnesota Wild and the Montreal Canadiens and the Edmonton Oilers and the Colorado Avalanche. Ended his career playing overseas and is now uh, a host of a program that you hear right here in Edmonton on Edmonton Sports Talk, and he's scouting and he's coaching. So lots that we can talk about with Sean Bell to close out this week's episode. He's up next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky.
2: Hey, it's Derek Comrie from the Tri-City Americans.
4: Right away from center. Baskoff coming in on Comrie. Hey!
0: You're listening to the Pipeline
3: Show. Don, buddy, want to come over and watch the game? I'll make a big salad. Uh, I don't know, man. Steve, come over and watch the game. I've got a massive salad here.
0: Yeah, my wife needs me to go shopping with her.
3: Mike,
2: want to watch the game and eat salad with me? Who is this? Did I mention I've got a bunch
3: of Will Hawk beef jerky too? I'll be right over. I'm heading over now. I'm already at your front door. Will Hawk beef jerky. Because you don't win friends with salad. Will Hawk is the home of Alberta's best beef jerky in LaDuke, Spruce Grove, and West Edmonton Mall.
0: You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming.
5: The cream will
4: rise to the top, oh yeah. The cream of the crop! Nobody does it better.
1: Final segment to go on this week's episode of the Pipeline Show. The program, of course, brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best. You can get it anywhere in Western Canada by going to their website. That is WilhockBeefjerky.com, But three Edmonton and area locations to pick it up in Spruce Grove, Leduc, or in West Edmonton Mall. All right. We are uh, pleased to be joined now on the phone by, by the Troubled Monk Hotline by a former Outstanding WHL uh, player, first-round draft pick of the St. Louis Blues, played 10 years of pro hockey, including stops with four different NHL teams. Defenseman Sean Bell. Uh, Sean, welcome to the program. How are you?
4: I'm doing really good. Thanks for having me on today.
1: I'm pleased to get a chance to speak with you, and I should also point out you're on this side of the microphone now these days. as uh, a 50% of uh, the new show that you do with uh, Tom Gazzola right here in Edmonton on Edmonton Sports Talk. That's of course called Hello Hockey on Saturday mornings. Uh, how are you enjoying that experience?
4: You know, it's actually been it's been really good. It, it does feel weird some days when you have to you know try to break down games or stuff like that. But you know, some people obviously don't know, but back in about 2016 or 2017, um, myself and Gozola were trying to work together with uh, with Oilers TV, mm. and at the eleventh hour, the the day before the playoffs started. Uh, my contract got ripped up and they decided that they weren't going to do it. So, you know, I, I had an itch back then um, and we've been able to figure out how to work together and it's been it's been pretty good so far.
1: Well, and we can hear that show on Edmonton Sports Talk. That's uh, edmontonsportstalk.com, uh, which you can also hear the Pipeline Show at that website as well. And it's uh, live streaming. You guys do video as well. So uh, unlike the Pipeline Show where nobody wants to see me suffer with my <laughs> voice and that's it. But you got the face for TV, so it's it's a good fit for you and Tom. Of course, Tom's got the hair too.
4: He's got the hair. It's it's nice that he's got his his normal locks back instead of having those <laughs> curls, and he made him look like uh, Justin Timberlake. Well, that's funny for
1: my audience that might not be aware. Tom Gazzoli, he's he's a pretty boy. He's a great guy. The coiffure on top of the head there it's it's a point of pride for him. And last year it was a charity thing, wasn't it, where he had to get a perm.
4: Yeah, he basically got called out on radio, and I don't think he was really pleased about it, but, you know, he's a good sport, and he decided that, uh, you know, after a certain number was reached uh, via charity and donations, that he would go get a perm, and man, you could see the look of panic on his face every single day, but, you know, it didn't look bad. And then finally, you know, when he did cut it, he had a bit of frosted tips. But, I mean, he got <laughs> roused pretty good for maybe a week and a half. And then, guys, kind of, the luster wore off and, and everything was good.
1: Oh, that's great. All right. Uh, Hello, Hockey is on com from 10 a.m. to noon on Saturdays, right before the Pipeline show, as a matter of fact. All right. Last week, uh, you guys broke the story about Kevin Constantine, uh with the Wenatchee Wild. I think it was a simple tweet saying something along the line and I don't know if you wrote it or if Tom wrote it, but hearing something about Kevin Constantine in, in Wenatchee and it doesn't sound great. What did you hear? What has what, and sort of what's transpired since then?
4: Yeah, like we we just obviously we, we try to keep uh you know a close ear to the ground and, and hear a bit of rumblings, but um this one was uh it, it was an interesting situation because we the phone called um the phone rang sorry and and we basically got this call and it was like hey did you hear what happened in wenatchee and we were just like what are you talking about and it was just an instant well constantine's up to it again (laughs) i said oh man here we go so we we started down that down that path we we were listening to what was going on and you know we had some, some inside information um From within the locker room which is you know doesn't happen very often but you know it it kind of it's similar situation to the babcock one where you know players i think are getting tired of the old school nonsense and they just want to reach out to somebody and they and they want they want help because a lot of times these guys can't help themselves and you know if you do try to go out and speak against a coach it it turns bad and guys don't want to lose ice time and stuff like that so that's kind of how this one started. We obviously had to fact check, make sure that, you know, it was a hundred percent true. So we, we just started digging in and honestly, just a situation in which you shake your head and you say, why does this consistently happen? So I, I won't go into super detail, but you know, obviously there was some music playing and he came in and he said, this is pretty good stuff. And then he, He threw out some terms that probably shouldn't throw out. One of the players stepped up and said, hey, you can't be doing that. And he goes, I guess we can't. It's not, uh, you know, 1995 anymore. And so then that was kind of left and they got into a meeting and he proceeded to drop another eight to 10 of that same word. And things kind of went sour from there. So um, I, I honestly don't really know what goes through the head when when that happens it's is it a power move is it a is it you don't care you think you're untouchable I, I just I honestly have a tough time understanding why this is consistently happening in the hockey world because we sit here every single day we watch the NHL we watch these other programs and there's these ads that run and they keep saying hockeys for everyone mm-hmm. but when you consistently do this stuff over and over and over again well is hockey really for everyone? Because you're making a really you're making a really strong case that it's not, and, and so that's kind of where we sit. And, and luckily, you know, they had some some solid young men on that team that said this isn't happening, and they uh, moved it up the food chain. All
1: right. So what's happened since then? The WHL suspended him. They conducted an investigation, and it was announced yesterday that uh, he's been suspended indefinitely. Uh, And the reasoning that they've uh, given is by making derogatory comments of a discriminatory nature. So, as you described it, it sounds like uh, he was using, uh, well, racially. Listen, for a white guy to say the word that he said, unless you're being paid by Quentin Tarantino, I don't think you should be saying that word ever.
4: Yeah, probably not. Yeah.
1: So, I'm not going to say the word, but it's, you know, the N-word. Everybody knows what it is. And it's just, you're right. It's just something... It's never been okay to say, but certainly not in 2023. And you you mentioned uh, Babcock as well. It seems like this is Columbus did it. They hired him. The Lethbridge Hurricanes have hired Bill Peters. We know he's got a background. Then when actually goes out and signs Kevin Constantine, the Red Deer Rebels have promoted uh, Kai Uchez to be the captain of their team. He was, you know, guilty of uh, of bullying a, a, a teammate in in Seattle, and it just seems like the whole hockey culture topic just, it won't go away because it keeps happening and I don't understand it. How do we get rid of that stuff?
4: Well, I think part of the problem is, is that there's been a lot of fluff when it comes to, Hey, we want We want hockey to be everything and uh, are inclusive and, and hockey's for everyone. And um, you know, it's, it's words, it's, it's verbiage. And, and it sounds nice that, Hey, we care about this stuff, but then in actuality, we aren't doing any of those things that we keep preaching. So at least now people are starting to say, this isn't okay. Um, you know, they're starting to, you know, suspend guys and remove guys from jobs, but it, it goes back to the same, the same conversation. I think that happens in every single circle. It's, well, why do we hire them in the first place? This is not a situation where like Kevin Constantine's a squeaky wheel. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you, gee, like, everybody needs to be the perfect shining angel. Like that's not a reality, but if you've got a track record that suggests you're going to be an issue, why would you even bother picking up the phone to that guy and saying, Hey, you know what? We want you to coach hmm. because usually things are going to go sideways pretty quickly. And I think that's the biggest issue is that why does, why are these the guys that are consistently getting hired? Cause I, I I'm living in Edmonton right now and, I get to work with the Spruce Grove Saints. I, I'm close with what's going on in the AGHL. You see all these different teams, and there's two teams that have been absolute juggernauts for the last 10 years in the A.J., and they were coached by Ryan Papuano, and they're coached by Bram Steven, who's no longer there, and it's Ryan Marsh. You mean to tell me, honestly, that one of those two coaches can't step into the WHL? Like Those are the things that I'm trying to figure out. Like These are new school guys. They're guys that connect with their players clearly. They, they have that relationship, and they're clearly good coaches, so can we not give these guys an opportunity? That's the stuff that I, I think is, is probably a bigger you know, issue at hand because we consistently recycle coaches.
1: No, that's fair, uh, Sean. You played in the early 2000s. I think it's probably fair to say that society in general has changed a lot over the last 20 years. I'm sure inside locker rooms, the atmosphere is a lot different. Some of the examples we're we're talking about with Babcock and Constantine and Bill Peters is it a case of just old coaches who have not evolved with the times?
4: That's 100% what it is. I mean, I, I was down in Tri City. Uh, for training camp and I and I saw one of my old coaches Don knockbar uh, I've got a great relationship with Don uh, Don when when he was coaching me was by no stretch of the imagination an easy guy to play for he is about as hard nosed as they come but he created a relationship with with his players and you know some guys obviously don't like him it, it is what it is there but a lot of guys love this guy and so you get a guy that's that old school, that hard nosed, and he's able to evolve and change. Why can't other people? Because you can't do certain things in hockey anymore. You, it, it, you can't, you know, make these kids sit on a bus for six hours and their smelly hockey equipment. Mm. You can't, you know, go on a road trip, lose, and then all of a sudden come back and then get back in your wet equipment and bag skate. Like that stuff doesn't exist anymore. So you see stuff in the paper or in the media, social media every single day, where hockey's under fire, and yet we still don't learn. Like that, to me, is just—it's mind-boggling how we can't figure it out from there.
1: The, the bit with riding the bus in your equipment—that was the Everett Silvertips under Kevin Constantine. <laughs> Were you in the league when that happened?
4: No, I had just—I uh, had just left the league. I think I was about two years removed, and uh, I had a couple buddies that. Uh, were on that team. And it was, you know, even with that, it was, it was a preseason tournament and they, they didn't play well, but a preseason tournament, you've got a lot of guys that, you know, are away at NHL camps. You've got guys that, you know, are 15 years old and they're not going to be in the lineup. You're just getting that last look at these, at these players that could be part of your future. And then you turn around and go do that. Like to me, that was outrageous at that time. And at that time was probably more accepted and you're allowed to get away with it back then, but think about trying to do that now. Like, that's just, it's not even in the realm of possibility. So, you know, it's, it's hard, it sucks. Hockey's such a great sport, and there's so many relationships that come out of it, but it's really hard to see every single week another thing pop up in the media where it's like, we just haven't learned from our past, our history, like the definition of insanity, repeating the exact same thing over and over and over, over again.
1: Sean Bell, uh, co-host uh, for Hello Hockey on EdmontonSportsTalk.com. Uh, he's my guest here on the Pipeline Show. Uh, we've been talking about coaches and uh, their relationship to players. There's also issues with players on players, and specifically it's the veteran players on a team who are, you know, hazing and, and that whole <laughs> hockey culture thing. I, I'm shocked that that is still a thing. I, I mean, I i'm an old I'm older than you. I did not play high level sports, but even in high school playing football, I got hazed, and it didn't make sense to me then. It certainly didn't make me feel like I was more a part of the team or anything like that. But what I went through was insignificant compared to some of the horror stories that we hear about uh where it's outright criminal assault on players. Mm-hmm. Was it something that you experienced at all during your career at at any
4: level? um you know what i honestly got lucky um when i was in tri-city i had a really good group of, of veteran leaders uh the most that they ever made us do was rookie show you know we had to sing a song tell a joke and do an impersonation um that was the extent of what i had in junior when i got into pro once again i was part of like really really good locker rooms, so i never had to experience it but You know, there's, there's stories all over the place. Like the, the hot box is one of them where, you know, they make the rookies get naked, stripped down, put their clothes in there, they lock them in the bathroom. And then now they've all got to figure out how to get dressed, um, you know, with their clothes on the floor. And that's just, to me, it's like, why? And so you start to, you try to break it down and, you know, as a person more with a moral compass, you say, well, I didn't appreciate that. Why do I want to do that to another person? But sometimes it becomes so ingrained in us that you know I had to endure this that I'm going to make somebody else endure it, and that's just the way that's the way it is and it, it's something that you know we need to try to remove from hockey how you're going to do that. I don't know because there is still a piece of well, these are the the young guys coming in we want them we want to figure out a way to you know, get them to be part of our team by making them earn it. And that's just, I hope that's a sports thing. And how do you how do you remove that from, from that culture? I honestly don't have the answer to that, but I do think there's got to be an awareness of, hey, we've got 25 kids on a team, you know, you're dealing with all sorts of different walks of life, different different cultures, uh, different attitude, different ego, you have to be able to treat every single person a little bit differently, and you can't just all stuff them into one proverbial box. And that's usually when things go sideways because, hey, one kid doesn't want to do it, and if you force him, well, now he's got an issue. So I think there can be, I think there can be welcoming stuff like that, but when we cross the line, that, that's just way too much.
1: Yeah, way too much. And I, I
4: honestly thought it was
1: something that was in the past, but we, we just saw a story a couple of weeks ago at, at Bowling Green at the NCAA level. Yep. There was some sort of off-campus off, off campus incident. Uh, I don't know the details on that, but it sounded awful. It was bad enough that their star player left the program and went to a different, uh, different school. Two or three, maybe four years ago in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, there was an incident at a, a team party with the Sherbrooke Phoenix where guys were – Like, physically assaulted with broomsticks. And, and I don't mean beaten. Yep. I mean, that is, that's criminal behavior. I personally, I think the way you get rid of this stuff is by actually getting the authorities involved. And if there's people who need to pay a price, whether it's a jail time or financially, that's, that stuff's gotta happen. Yeah. It's gotta be a a penalty that is, it's gotta be a deterrent. You gotta get rid of this stuff.
4: I completely agree with you. Like, that, that Sherbrooke stuff was, it's it's outrageous. There, like no words can actually describe, you know, how awful that is. And you know, if you're those kids on the receiving end, like, you know, your your whole outlook is probably completely changed, and you you don't want to be part of that program. And you know, it's 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 crazy to me, because hockey or sports is supposed to be a brotherhood. It's supposed to be it's supposed to be tight knit. You're supposed to be a family, but then you go and turn around and you do these. These absolutely crazy things to each other, but then you expect this guy to perform. Like the thinking, the level of thinking that's there, um, you know, it's just, it's not where it should be. Um, it, as far as the Bowling Green situation, you know, that one I think is a little bit, there's more that meets the eye to that one. Um, I do know a couple guys that are at Bowling Green right now and they've made some comments about it. Mm obviously the investigation is going on, but I think there's a little bit more that meets the eye with that one, but it's still, nonetheless, it's, it's something that's in our culture that needs to just disappear.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Sean, what do you guys have coming up uh, at hello hockey? What are you guys doing this weekend?
4: Well, obviously uh, the hockey world is buzzing right now. Um, The Kevin Constantine thing, I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, There was obviously the announcement by hockey Canada that was just, uh, that came out yesterday revolving the you know you're not allowed to use the the change rooms you got to show up half dressed or you know if each player has to use a washroom so i'm sure there's lots of stuff that we can talk about uh hopefully we'll have uh you know a gm uh, from an nhl team on on air it hasn't been confirmed yet but we're we're marching towards that so it should be a pretty good show because the hockey world unfortunately keeps just Drop bombshells.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Uh, what do you make of that? Before I let you go, what do you make of that hockey Canada story? Because it, for, for those who might not be aware, I think it read something like eighteen and under, you can't get uh, like naked basically in the in the change room before or after the game. So like anything that you're wearing under your gear, you got to bring it, have it on already. How do how do guys
2: shower after the game?
4: Well, that's that's one of the biggest concerns, and then the other one is like, okay, well, if you show up as a team. And you've got 20 kids or 25 kids, and everybody's got to use the bathroom, and you got five minute increments. Well, how long before the game do you actually have to show up? So, like the level of thinking here doesn't really make sense, and it doesn't actually equate because if you show up too early, you're not even be able to get the dressing room anyway. So there's just there's more to it. That that would be one of the big things for me. And then the second one is like, who's gonna enforce this? Right? Like, you know how many problems there's going to be? Like, you go down to Kingsman Arena and you got the rink guy walking in the dressing room and saying, hey, you guys can't get dressed here. Like, that's going to be a fight in itself. And then the last piece for me is that, okay, you've asked the coaches to now be in the dressing room while these kids are showering. That was the other piece that's in that article. Isn't that opening up a whole another can of worms? Yeah. So I don't know how well this has been been thought through but i know that since it's been released there's been lots of phone calls lots of chirps flying and you know people just shaking their heads saying like well here's another one hockey canada very
1: puzzling very puzzling indeed and i mean you're you've got connections to the the western hockey league and the ajhl these are 16 to 20 year olds so half the guys are able to shower and the other half can't
4: well yeah it's like okay well if there's You know, think about some of the younger levels. And I know that our U15 team currently has a female on the team. And so this is more of a, okay, well, our female goes in for 15 minutes. She's allowed to do what she needs to do to get ready. The males stay out of the dressing room and then they switch roles. So like there is teams and programs doing all that stuff. But at the same time, there's also multiple dressing rooms that are coaches rooms, that are ref rooms, that are, that are, extra change rooms so if there's issues or people are uncomfortable can we not put them in those extra rooms and then you're not really punishing you know the rest of the kids i just think there's there's so many pieces to this that it wasn't thought through and you know maybe they're just trying to remove all liability and maybe is that something that could be you know plausible um yeah it's it's an interesting situation Uh, I don't think it's a great one, but here we are today.
1: Head scratcher for sure. Sean, this has been terrific. I really appreciate your (laughs) time. Uh, Thanks for doing this, and uh, I hope you don't mind if I call you again. Not a problem.
4: I'd love to be on again.
1: That was Sean Bell from Hello Hockey with uh, Tom Gazzola and Sean Bell. Check out their Twitter feed, at Hello Hockey Show. And from there, in their bio, you can uh, follow both Sean Bell and Tom Gazzola and Edmonton Sports Talk as well. Now, they were the first ones I saw who broke that story last week about Kevin Constantine, and then it was picked up by everybody else. So I wanted to circle back and make sure that uh, I tried to get uh, Sean on the show last week to talk about it, but it was still not a whole lot to talk about at that point. But now that the ruling has come down from the Western Hockey League, Kevin Constantine suspended indefinitely. I guess he can reapply for the ability to coach in the league again, but not until 2025. I think it's probably safe to say that his uh, coaching career is done now. I don't know that you come back from this. Although, hey, we would have said that probably before, and not just with him, but with Babcock and with uh, Bill Peters. And they haven't all been the same exact scenario. It's all been coaches crossing the line, though. I think we can file it under that. You know, what Babcock did to guys like Mitch Marner and what he's he did here in Columbus, it's different than what Bill Peters has done in his past and what, Kevin Constantine has done in his past and did last week. And if you're still uncertain about exactly what happened with Kevin Constantine in Wenatchee, you heard Sean describe it as he came into the dressing room. There was music playing and he used a a word to describe that music. So to clarify, it's not like he was bullying a player. He wasn't saying a racially derogatory term directed at a player, but he was doing it around the players and it wasn't an isolated incident. He did it several times. So it wasn't a one-off, even though it sounds the way Sean described it, that he tried to kind of laugh it off. Hey, I guess I can't say that anymore. And then proceeded to say it several more times. But I guess the reason I'm, I'm pointing this out, it, it wasn't an incident where there was a specific victim, but it's conduct that you don't want young players exposed to. It's just really outdated behavior that is not acceptable in 2023. Wasn't acceptable 20 years ago, let alone in 2023. I mean, just think about to your own childhood. I don't know how old you are, obviously. I'm 52. In high school, we used a lot of language that would not be acceptable today. Just names that you would call your buddy. Instead of goof, you would use a a different term that didn't raise an eyebrow. Nobody batted an eye at back in the 80s or 90s. But you can't do it now because it's unacceptable. I'm not saying, man, we can't say that anymore. That's stupid. Hey, no, we, could, we shouldn't have been saying it back then, but society has moved on, and it's not acceptable, and you have to evolve. You have to g- grow with the times. It's like the people who are still pissed off that, that a couple words to the national anthem were changed, and it's not about being woke and all of that stuff. Not going to get all political, but as Sean described, is it really hockey is for everyone? If it is, make it a welcoming place for everyone. And that has to start with the coaches and and work its way down because they're the example for the players. They're the role model for the players. Now, as for what happened in Bowling Green, getting mixed, uh, a lot of mixed reports here, and Sean alluded to that as well, that maybe the whole story hasn't come out. So we'll wait to uh, cast judgment on exactly what happened around uh, Bowling Green until we know a lot more. All right, well, that is going to do it for this week's episode of The Pipeline Show. A big shout-out to everyone who has been signing up to be a patron at patreon.com slash thepipelineshow. Can't do the program without that ongoing support, so I really appreciate that. You get early access to all the interviews that you hear on a full episode. Maybe you're tuning in right now on Edmonton Sports Talk, and you're like, what, what is the key talking about? Well, all the interviews that you hear on a full episode like this, you can hear them individually, usually the same day that the interview Happen. For example, this conversation I just had with Sean Bell was on Thursday. Patrons get to hear that conversation on Thursday. But a full episode is released on Friday. You get to hear it on Edmonton Sports Talk on Saturdays or Mondays on the replay. But if you'd like to join the community, the growing community of patrons, go to patreon.com slash the show. The Edmonton Oil Kings are in action on Saturday and on Monday. They're taking on the Prince Albert Raiders Saturday. And then on Monday, it's a Thanksgiving affair against the Lethbridge Hurricanes. That one starts at noon. Lots of action locally around with the Alberta Junior Hockey League. And wherever you might be listening, everything is getting going. NCAA is kicking off as well. So lots of hockey out there. I recommend you go and watch some junior college hockey so that we can talk about it next week right here on the Pipeline Show. It's brought to you by Wilhock Beef Turkey, and my name is Gee Flaming. Until next week, everybody, see ya!